Hello and welcome to the game. We came from the eighties, the podcast where we discuss Farron's dog. I'm all alone. Farron has to edit this out later, so I'm just going to give him some work to do. I'll give him a wave for him, so he kind of goes back and goes, "What is this?" And he's probably going to listen to it all. You're coming back now, Farron. From the dawn of time, we came, moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering. When the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you until now. So hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I'm your host, Farron, and I'm going to cut your head off. And today I'm joined... (laughs) 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 And I'm joined by Adam, who I have some bad news for, is not going to make it through the podcast. I'm back, everybody, but apparently for only one episode. Well, yeah, we'll see how it ends. (laughs) So today we're doing a movie about a Frenchman pretending to be a Scotsman, pretending to be an American, who joins forces with a Scotsman pretending to be an Egyptian, pretending to be a Spaniard, to defeat an American pretending to be a Russian, pretending to be an American. Of course, we're talking about Highlander. I thought this was Friends. Man, I was asleep. And it was uh, premiered on the 7th of March, 1986. It was directed by Russell Mulcahy. It was written by Gregory Wyden, Peter Bellwood, and Larry Ferguson. That's right. It took three people to write this. And it stars Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery, Roxanne Hart, sorry, Roxanne Hart, and Clancy Brown. Of course, the only one of any note in there is Sean Connery. Connery. And somehow he's only in maybe a third of the film all in? Well, yeah, he's in like 10 scenes. Sean Connery has like two careers. You saw like Bill Murray. He's got the comedy career and the drama career. Sean Connery has the serious movie career. Mm -hmm. He's only a couple years, a few years later that he filmed Hunt for Red October. Right. So he's got like, you know, the James Bonds and like serious movies. And then he's got this shit. And like Zardoz and the League yeah. of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It's like, and you showed me that still from Zardoz. Now, I've never seen the movie. I had no idea what still that was from or what movie that still from, was from. That just sticks with the internet. But it's everywhere. <laughs> Everybody who has been on the internet for 10 minutes has seen that still and it's beautiful. Well, it, well no, it's really not. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, a good, okay, it's a good movie. I'll give him credit. It's a very different movie. It's done by John Borman. That movie was made with a lot of alcohol, I think. Yeah, um, I, and, I would agree and, with and, that. And this movie was just made with a lack of talent. A lot of alcohol, uh, lack of talent. Yeah. Um, but as a kid, I love this film. This is your first time seeing it, right? Yes, in its entirety. In yes. its entirety. Well, you said you'd tried watching it before. Yes. So I had, uh, I'd seen bits and pieces of it here and there. Oh, Highlander. I know Highlander. I, I, I want to sit down and watch it. So I tried to convince my girlfriend to sit down and watch it with me. <laughs> and we got about 20 minutes in before she was confused and bored and just wanted to move on with her life. So. <laughs> Check out. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't blame you. You know, <laughs> I saw this film. I, I, I'm not sure whether I saw it on Super Channel or mm-hmm. I rented it. Certainly my parents weren't going to take me to see this. Right. It wasn't the, the issue with me seeing violent films. They rented The Terminator for me. Mm. It's just that. If they didn't want to see it, why would they go? 
I mean, only a handful of films they ever took us to see specifically for us. And Highlander was not going to be one of them. No. And that's assuming it even played here. Uh, so I saw it either on video or whatever. And as a kid, I thought this was like the coolest film ever. But here's the thing. I thought the, the term Highlander meant immortal. I didn't know it meant oh, you're from the Highlands of okay. Scotland. So I always assumed, well, they're all Highlanders. Right. So when I heard that there was an, uh, a reserve infantry regiment in Calgary called the <laughs> Calgary Highlanders, I went... Cool. Yeah. Like, like, are they all immortal? Do they all have swords? Obviously, you know, <laughs> well, they don't. No. But, um, you know, they, hey, they've been around for a while. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's as a kid, I thought this was like the coolest movie ever. The music was a little much for me. Queen, as as a kid, Queen was a little much for okay. me. Okay. But you know, Princes of the Universe, great song. Yes. Who wants to live forever? Good song. Most of the others, no. Uh, Minus that note you made of their uh, their rendition of New York, New York. New York, yeah, which is sort of, I guess, this sort of famous thing that the only place it's ever been played. That version of New York, New York, uh, apparently the only place you're ever going to hear it is in this song. Because mm-hmm. there's never been a, a, a Highlander OST, original soundtrack. There's yeah. never been that. The closest you'll get is the Queen album, It's a Kind of Magic. Oh, really? Is that the name of the album that most of the music in this movie comes from? Yeah, it's a song. It's a kind of magic with the snapping and all that. It's it's, it's an okay song. I think the the album came later. Like, Mm -hmm. they sort of, Princes of the Universe is in there Mm -hmm. and Don't Lose Your Head, which is a bad song. Well. Like, they did the music. Like, Queen had went through this weird thing in the 80s where they started doing soundtracks. They did this in Flash Gordon. Uh, Flash Gordon is a much better soundtrack. (laughs) Hey, that Flash Gordon song rocks. Flash Gordon does go. um, But they, they never released, like, Flash Gordon, you can buy the... The soundtrack for whatever right. reason for Highlander they never did, but all of the songs that they used went on to be in "It's a Kind of Magic." Yes, minus "New York, New York," which I, I, maybe just they didn't have the rights to it or something. Maybe or, I can I imagine know. that it's, with it being a you know a Broadway musical song, they probably had a tough time getting it to an album. Possibly, yeah. Like honestly, I have no idea. I mean, this is the '80s. This uh, the, the song itself, I think, is from the '40s. It would still have been. Certainly, I mean, probably the guy who wrote it was probably still kicking. So probably, yeah. Who knows? I mean, this this movie was made like there wasn't a lot of money in, in this movie. No, but, like in the script, I've read the original script and the initial part of the movie, which takes place in a wrestling match, a bad mm-hmm. one. Not that there's such a thing. sorry, there's no good wrestling, but <laughs> no. this is a bad one. It was supposed to be in a hockey game, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm guessing they just couldn't afford to film during a hockey game, so they went with wrestling. Right. Um, so we should probably look and see how much it would. Yeah, it cost. I'm getting different, like different websites say different budgets, yeah. but it, it costs somewhere between 16 and 19 million bucks. So this costs more than Predator. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, it costs more than Top Gun, though again, that was underwritten by the Navy. Yeah. But it made, again, data varies depending where you look, but it made between six and 12 million. Right. So even if you look at the lower end for the budget at 16 and the yeah. higher end for the profits at 12, it was still yeah. a flop. Here's the thing this, it's a cult classic. There was Highlander, and then there was Highlander 2, The Quickening, which may not be the worst movie ever made, but it's in the running. <laughs> like, Siskel and Ebert actually flipped a coin over who could call it the worst movie of its year. Oh, really? Like, it's batshit crazy in a way that even this movie isn't. Okay. Aliens, and it's just, it's crazy oh, beyond reason. God. Then they decided to ignore it, and they went with Highlander 3, which with, with um, oh, I can't think of Mario uh, Mario Van Peebles. Great actor. He, um, he did uh, New Jack City. He did the direction for that. Okay. He's a really great actor. He was also in um, Heartbreak Ridge, a great 80s movie we're definitely going to have to do. And then that one bombed. And then they did Highlander Endgame. Because between Highlander 3 and Highlander Endgame, there was a series called Highlander about Duncan McLeod. Because here it's about Connor McLeod. Right. And so this is about another 
member of the clan McLeod, who's also an immortal, who Connor sort of teaches how to be an immortal and sends off to have his wacky adventures in Seattle. Okay. But that show lasted like six years. Hmm. And then there was a spinoff from that called The Raven, based on a female immortal who's in the show. The Raven and does sound familiar. I think I have heard of that. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, well, the idea is that sort of a, they, they introduced a female love interest for Duncan McLeod. Okay. The, the, like the guy in the in the, in the, in, uh, in the, the shows. And she also was an immortal, but she was a thief. And okay. so when when Highlander, the show, was canceled, they cried, they tried hers, the Raven. That lasted half a season. <laughs> and then they tried to wrap all of the mythology from the shows up. And we won't even get into the post-apocalyptic cartoon called Highlander. Oh, yes, really? really. Oh. And uh, I think it was with Liam McLeod, but I don't know. Bad 90s oh, cartoon. Boy. But uh, they tried to wrap it all up in Highlander Endgame. Uh-huh. Uh, and they brought back the woman who played Heather, his wife. Okay. And it was bad. And then it wasn't enough, so they made another one called Highlander The Source, where they tried to... Oh, where, no. where Yeah, and it's just... Not one of these movies has ever even approached making its budget. Yeah. And yet, five movies, two live-action TV series and a cartoon, they just keep pumping this shit out, and they're remaking it, by the way. Are they really? Like, this movie has got to be $100 million in the hole by now. I don't understand it. And yet... It persists. There's got to be something. I mean, I assume that it's just at that point where you look and you say, what's a cult classic that's kind of failed? You've got Sabrina the Teenage Witch being released by Netflix as a dark and gritty. Yeah. Is it really? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, in this one, like Sabrina's aunts are uh, both Satan worship, like directly Satan worshippers. And that's why they're just, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're into it. But I I think that at this point, you're kind of. We're going to see a Highlander if it comes back and does dark this, and gritty. Yeah, yeah, it'll be dark and gritty. Uh, he'll be even more angsty and more broody and less talkative than before. That's not really. <laughs> I'm not sure they're going to manage that. He's practically monosyllabic. It's in this pretty time, much, yeah. Yeah, it's you know, as a kid, I'm not sure what about this movie I love so much. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the sword fighting or the yeah. idea of living forever or whatever it was. Right. But it's like it's a bad film. But here's the thing, and this is what I found shocking: the reason Highlander the series was as popular as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the female viewership that kept it going. Fifty-six uh, percent of the viewership was female. Okay, maybe it was Adrian Paul. He had a British accent and a ponytail. That was a okay. late, early '90s thing, and I don't know what it was, but it, it was like, I guess there's that show now, Outlander. Yes, and, and maybe it's the same sort of thing. It was mm-hmm. sort of the romance of it because Duncan McLeod always had romances, whereas Connor McLeod here is just this brooding prick. Um, <laughs> The guy has no social skills no, whatsoever. No, he really apparently. doesn't. But in the meantime, he stabbed himself and a woman slept with him. So yeah. I, I haven't tried that yet. I'm going to try it on my next date. Um, I'll let you know how it goes. You we'll, keep me posted. Yeah, keep me on speed dial. Maybe we'll be doing the next one from prison. Um, <laughs> it's only if you stab yourself. It's fine. Don't yeah, worry. fair enough. But it's it's just, I'm not sure what it is about this film, but as a kid, mm-hmm. I didn't care about the bad special effects. I didn't care that the opening monologue, which I'm definitely clipping into this, oh, please. was, it turns out, recorded in Sean Connery's bathroom that's why you have the echo the production qualities i never quite appreciated just how bad they are right but holy shit are they bad they are they are pretty rough (laughs) like you you look at the uh and you'd mentioned the the spark effect that they do on the swords was done with live car batteries and live car batteries a a positive and a negative yeah with a wire run through their arms that's terrifying it is it's terrifying to me and i'm not even there no one died but it it doesn't help that with all these swordplay christopher lambert is practically blind Mm. he wears super thick uh glasses i guess in 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 highlander 2 he was sword fighting with michael ironside okay 
Uh, you played Commander Heatherly, Heatherly Jester in Top Gun. Oh, okay, yeah. He also yeah. does the voice of Sam Fisher in. Uh, oh, does he Splinter really? Cell. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, he he almost took uh, Ironside's thumb off. Oh, really? Because they're actually doing the sword fighting. Yeah. But Lambert is almost blind. He's got super thick glasses. Oh, wow. He's, yeah, he's um. So it's terrifying. That, that makes it a little more dangerous. And they and they and it's funny because they you can tell a lot of the times they're using um, stand-ins, but clearly yeah. Oh, not. yeah. Often enough, but well, I, I can testify to the danger of sword fighting. I did it in high school once for an English presentation, <laughs> and I got sent to the hospital. Um, actually, that was that was one thing that I did note at the beginning of this oh, yeah. is that yeah. What stands um, out to you about this this monstrous thing? Uh, there, oh, there's so many things that yeah. just what's stand the, out. What's the one thing that just hits you? Just the weird balance of lack of exposition mm-hmm. and then also lack of action. Because, like, well, I mean, you do have these action scenes. The sword but fights, just, yeah. Yeah, you do have the sword fights. Um, but I would expect that for the lack of exposition, they would have amped up that amount of action yeah. over the top. Yeah. Because the exposition that we do get is you get a bit at the beginning where you explain sort of his backstory yeah. and then a little bit why he doesn't want to fall in love and then he falls in love. And that's yeah. kind of kind of the arc that you get for the main character. Yeah, that's all, it. <laughs> yeah, all the exposition that goes on around it is sort of stand out for the audience trying to find, well, what the hell's going on? Everybody yeah. else is trying to find out what the hell's going on at the same time. Yeah, and they, they eventually sort of explain you what sort of is going on. But yeah, they, you know, one thing we talked about when we did Dune yesterday is that 40 minutes of nothing but, like, let me explain what's happening. Yeah. And then let me explain the next part. And let me explain, and like at some point you have to actually show the movie. Yeah. And these guys, like, Ramirez is meant to be our guide to the world. And he right. sort of explains it. And then you sort of realize, okay, this must be the gathering. Yeah. But it's not until... We until the guy Castigier, the black yes, man, shows up at the end. We find out it's actually the the gathering, and that's got to be halfway through the film because you're trying to figure out why are these people hacking? Why are they all suddenly yeah. in New York? Yeah, and well, eventually you figure it out. Yeah, you, you, I kind of like coming at this for the first time. I yeah. sort of sort of intuitively piece that together. Okay, this must be the gathering at this point, where because New York City, everybody gathers yeah, in New York City, a faraway land. Yeah. As, as as Connery's character explains exactly. But, yeah. um, and that was one thing I'd actually written down here was show don't tell. Uh, Show don't tell is is just thrown at the window in this movie. It's um, there's a scene in a, in a large uh, field of war mm-hmm. in 1500 Scotland. Yeah, and he's walking across the field, going, "Nobody's fighting me. Yeah, but why the, will nobody engage me? Well, yeah, but we already know that because the Kurgan says, "Remember, the boy is mine." You're right, and he doesn't need to sit there in exposition all over ourselves, going, "Nobody's fighting me," when nobody is clearly fighting the guy. Yeah, I, I, and I get that. I think it's mostly he doesn't understand, and it's like this film is not complex. No, this it's film, not. Like the writing is not complex. The plotting is not complex. Mm-hmm. It's a like this is a B movie. It is. Like it, it is, is definitely the embodiment a movie. of of B movies. And that's actually what stands out to me this time. Like I, again, this is a movie that I have a lot of love for just because I loved it as a kid, but right. I like it less every time I see it. Yeah. And certainly none of the sequels are good. <laughs> I guess I would have been in high school and then university when the movie, when the show, when the show was on and I watched bits and pieces of it. And I went, okay, yeah. you know, whatever. But it, it didn't, it was always a B story yeah. always. And yet they keep, pumping this crap out it's kind of amazing it really is um, so let's sort of go through it and yes. see what we see yes so it starts off with sean connery in his bathroom mm-hmm. explaining to us that you know that there are immortals and that they'll fight until there's one left and there can be only one and again they, they couldn't even bother to edit the sound because there's that, that little bit at the end no one has ever known we were among you until now this weird sound in the background and it's always been there and because I've seen this movie so many times I'm used to the sound of it right. and it's like clearly that's a sound error 
yeah. they couldn't be bothered to edit it out. Like they <laughs> edited this thing together over lunch. Yeah. And it just, it, it comes off across the silly. And then we're in Madison Square Garden. Yes. Watching very bad wrestling. Oh, the mullet on that one guy. I oh, yeah. love well, it. Well, clearly, clearly these were, these were wigs. The guy with yeah. the mullet and the guy with the curly hair. And it's like third rate wrestling. It's like, hmm. it's the mid of the, it's the mid eighties. It's the height of WWF wrestling's mm-hmm. popularity. Hulk Hogan and Jesse the Body Ventura. Right. Who, of course, is on a movie you and I are eventually going to do. Oh, you know, Predator. Yes. You know, this was the height of their, their popularity. You think they would have made a deal with WWF. Right. But no. Christopher Lambert's character in the midst of all of this, this chaos is sort mm-hmm. of sitting there and he's all brooding and he's got the, the uh, rectangular light on his eyes where they, you know, they shine the light. It's like, you, you, you're meant to, you know, you're meant to make eye contact with him. Yeah. And, you know, as we were saying during the film, Everyone else is really animated, screaming, yeah, stomp him, kill him, kill him. And he starts having flashbacks to like an actual, well, we're not sure what it is at the beginning. It, like it's just, yes. it's this field somewhere with a bunch of medieval dudes with banners and crucifixes and swords. Mm-hmm. And it's clear he's thinking back to, I guess, a battle. Something that he had obviously lived through at some point yeah. in time. Um, and that kind of provides a little bit of context into the character himself. And you sort of find out, oh, well... He's sitting here, and this is something that either he remembers or thinks he remembers or something. Yeah. But now he's sitting there watching professional wrestling at the Madison Square Garden. Yeah. It just, but isn't wrestling real? Is it? Uh, yes, Farron, it it's is? real. Oh, uh, thank don't you. Don't worry. It's okay. fine. Is it? Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. The people around him are sort of agitating him, and one guy sort of, I think, nudges him, and that's where he yeah, decides to Yeah, he grabs his shoulder, and he's screaming yeah, right isn't at his ear. Yeah. It's like, and then he leaves. Yeah. And he goes into the, 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 the parking parkade. garage, the oh, parkade, and he meets this guy who's really well-dressed and calls him McLeod. Yeah. So now well, we have a name. Yeah. I think we have a name. We, we, something. And he's like super well dressed. He's got expensive avi- aviator glasses. And what that. did he say in that little exposition there, McLeod? Fazil, wait. This is the problem is that Christopher Lambert spe- spoke at the time very little English. Yes. His English was not great and his no. accent, I have no idea what accent he was going for. Like I said, a Frenchman pretending to be a Scotsman, yeah. pretending to be an American. And it's just, I didn't even make fun of it in the film. Like you talk funny, Nash, where are you from? Yeah. But, you know, lots of different lots places. Lots of different but, places. But yeah, it, it doesn't help the dialogue. See, I'm at the point now where I have seen this film so many times mm-hmm. that I don't know what I don't know what is clear and what is not. Right. You know what I mean? Because once you've heard the film, once you've seen the film 50 times, I don't worry about the uh, the dialogue. I yeah, know the you dialogue. You know the dialogue. I could yeah. have slept through this film, which would have been rude, but I could have well, done that. And, and, and I would still be able to talk about it. Absolutely. You know, the one thing I am noticing is that we watched the director's cut. It happens to be what I have. Mm-hmm. But the original theatrical cut doesn't have the flashbacks between him watching the totally real wrestling and the battle. Yes. That's not in there. No. But the sword fight works as it does. And yeah, it's it just sort of a little bit of a little bit of extra. And I guess that's what I look for in a director's cut. It's just a little bit of extra, something that you think is going to give a little bit extra flair or context or color and, to and the And this scenes. does, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But the fight is... Uh... Beautiful. Oh my God, it's beautiful. <laughs> Farron, I've never seen sword choreography quite like that. We have to expand your film knowledge. Uh, <laughs> I, I can genuinely say that I've never seen sword fight choreography quite like that 
might not have been Well, worse. this is true. That, that, that's, that's true. But then you haven't seen Highlander 2. The way this fight plays out makes no sense. No. Uh, the other guy swings and misses McLeod mm-hmm. and right. looks around like, dude, he's right below there. He just yeah. ducked. He's right there. He's, he's, he's hiding behind you. And now yeah. in, the, in the next cut, somehow McLeod is about 30 feet away charging and, at him from behind. Uh, yeah, from the side anyway. Yeah. yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's really very silly. I mean, I guess the idea is that, you know, in the midst of their fight, they set off the sprinklers. Yes. I'm not sure how, but they do. Um, I think it's because they cut a line or Which naturally something? sets off the sprinklers. Uh, naturally. Okay. Maybe yeah. it smoked. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, um, <laughs> there's a lot of sparks every time they touch. Uh, exactly. They touch swords, yes. So maybe that eventually sets one off. But yeah, I think the idea is that there's so much water coming down, it creates mm-hmm. confusion. Mm-hmm. And in the hands of a decent director and a good fight choreographer, this would be true. Unfortunately, they don't have a decent director. I mean, that's not fair. Russell Mulcahy can be a good director. He did. He directed a wonderful 1990 movie called The Shadow. Okay. With Alec Baldwin. Wait, like The Shadow, The Shadow? Like the... Um, yeah, the, the Shadow Knows. Yeah, it was... Yeah. Uh, it was okay. yeah, they made it into a movie in 1990. Oh, with, I didn't know that. With Adam... Oh, oh yeah, with Adam Baldwin and uh, Tim Curry uh-huh. and the guy who played Gandalf. Uh, oh, um... Ian McClellan yes. is in it, and it was a huge, it was a huge really? cast. Uh, and Ma- Russell Mulcahy did it, and okay. he did a perfectly competent job but the 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 cinematography was beautiful Mm -hmm. but this movie was you know five years previous and Mm -hmm. i guess he learned a lot i'm sure he must have maybe he went to film school but yeah because this yeah like the the sword fight as a kid i thought it was the coolest thing but these guys fight in the stupidest places possible they fight on the hoods of cars yeah they're chasing each other across the hoods of cars and i'm just thinking like this could again and you reference this yourself that he had previously directed rock and roll music videos. I'm yeah, going, I can see the influence now. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, but it looks bad. And then yeah. you know, at one point, McLeod falls, and you see the camera inside the cab of the vehicle. Yes, and he comes through the glass like that. Windshield is made of plate glass, <laughs> and I'm thinking that's just dumb. Like, yeah, like it's just even in the '80s, your windshield didn't break like that. No, it's just like it's clearly candy glass. Mm-hmm. Which is what they use in film. And, and candy glass you could eat, by the yes. way. It's, it, it's, it's made sugar. sugar. It's sugar and, yeah. and other shit. Um, and, and it's clearly that. It's like, why? I guess mean, they didn't want to spend the money on a real windshield. Yeah. You know, uh, but. I mean, I get that. I I tried to kind of write it off in my own head canon as these guys are so powerful that maybe they they're, they're heavier. Um, maybe sure. The quickening just adds to their atomic mass. I don't know. <laughs> Put more head effort in. I like that term, head cannon. <laughs> yeah, the bullshit you think of to make this not a bad film. Exactly. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. So he takes off the other guy's, Fazil is his name? Yeah. Well-dressed guy, loses his head, mm-hmm. and someone shines, someone that snuck up and shone a spotlight on him, and the cars all <laughs> lurch forward, and they're revving like they're these old like Latino oh, cars that jump up yes, and down. Yes, we're off from, in a lowrider convention. You know, yeah, it's hilarious. The the fire hose in in the area, yeah. it goes off, and the headlights start blowing and out. Everyone explodes, and, yeah. and he takes his his uh, sword and what does it? What is that? They just raise it straight over their head, wasn't that it? Well, he just at one point he's got it sort of in his hands, and he just yeah. like he's got his hands oh, out yeah, in yeah, sort yeah. of the cruciform, yeah. and he drops it while he starts getting zapped by lightning. And then he he takes the sword and he puts it in an, like an overhead. I guess it's a gutter. Yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, if it's an underground parkade, I guess there would be some uh, some rain flow that they probably just direct through over right. the piping. Yeah, and and thankfully the cops don't ever find that because that's a thorough job you did there, boys. Seriously, look but, up, look down. Wait, what? No, just no, there's look a down. body. We're good enough. Yeah. yeah. So he runs off, and then immediately, suddenly, we're in 
immediately suddenly. Yeah, like well, well, yeah, we are immediately so- suddenly and right away. Im- immediately, we're in like what is clearly medieval Scotland. Yes, and you know we see a castle and wonderful B and B. And yeah, it turns out it was a B and B, and they just covered the parking lot with with muck and <laughs> and built a village on top of it. Yeah, and then we see this whole whack of warriors coming across the bridge. And if we weren't sure where we were or when it was. May this year of our Lord, 1536, bring victory to the clan MacLeod. MacLeod! No. Okay. And, you know, when we see, we see Connor MacLeod, who's supposed to be 18. I'm sorry, he does not look 18. No! uh, 18 is not enough time to grow that hair. No, probably not. (laughs) Um, and he's riding along with his cousin Dougal. How we know he's his cousin? Because he calls him Cousin Dougal. Yeah. And then there's Angus, who's clearly this old weathered warrior. Mm-hmm. And they added a scene, which is when his when Connor's woman comes to him and says, "Keep him." Oh, that was okay. that wasn't there. You just see that the priests say his thing. They make the jokes. I Angus, you know, peace is killed all the time. And I don't feel bad about that bad accent because it's not any better than theirs. <laughs> no, theirs um, is just as bad. Yeah. It's great. And then they sort of march off to the battle. So they add the scene where the girlfriend okay. says, "You know, keep." Keep him in one piece, and Duncan makes a crude joke. Oh, you know what piece that is? And then we're in a battle. And here's the Mm -hmm. thing. They never explain in the theatrical version. You have no idea why they're fighting. We'll learn later, Clan Fraser. Yes. But here they they have hints because you hear someone scream, kill the heathens. Yeah. And you clue in that this was between a Catholic clan, which we'll learn much later in the movie is the McLeods, because he goes to a Catholic church to, That's light, right, the, yes. to light the um, the, uh, uh, the oh. candle for Heather on her birthday. Right. So that would make the uh, the Frasers Protestant of some sort. Of some uh, kind. I'm going to guess Jacobite, uh, not Jacobite. Um, I can't think of the, uh, I think I can't think of the. There's I a particular per- there's here. a particular Scottish church they're very fire and brimstone-y. Um, Scientology. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're not fire and brimstone They're lasers and UFOs. No. Well, I mean, there's Dude, fire get and your, brim- your religions, right? Fire and brimstone in the volcano on Xenu. That's true. That's true. I'm only a level four Scientologist. Oh, so geez. I- well, I mean, you know about Thetans at that point. So absolutely. You're, you're absolutely. But yeah, so that's what this battle is. I always assumed it was just a family squabble, but mm-hmm. it's only like in the last two years, I was, oh, no, no, this is part of what were, in fact, cl- you know, cl- the clans had always been knocking each other around in the yeah. islands. Like. If you want to find the ass end of Europe, like the most barbaric, <laughs> lowest, like the most poorly educated, it's the highlands of Scotland. Uh-huh. The irony is, is that we used to joke, because my first degree was ancient medieval history. Mm-hmm. We used to joke that England never had a renaissance. They went from medieval right to the enlightenment with uh-huh. no in between, which isn't fair. But the point is, none of the great renaissance thinkers come out of England. No, they, they all a come lot out of them, Italy. Or, yeah. Well, and France, but also, well. believe it or not, Scotland. Scotland huh. somehow becomes wildly modern. Really? Despite the fact that they're the freaking backwater of Western Europe. And the Highlands are the absolute backwater. And yet, within a hundred years of the shit we see here, Scotland had become quite enlightened. Hmm. It, it's just kind of weird. But here, these guys are barbarians. They live probably as the Celts had lived in in Scotland for the last, you know, 1500 years or so they'd been there or whatever, 2000 years. Like these are primitive people. They have, they have metal, like they have yeah. swords. Yeah. But other than that, they live in, in skins and like, these are primitive people. And, and the fighting is smushing up against each other. Like go at them. Yeah. That's, that's the battle. 
No, there there was no nuance. There there was no concept of the shield. There was just the bigger sword. Well, than some the of them other have guy. shields. Some of them have the round yeah. wooden shields. Oh yeah, you're right. They do but, actually have shields. You know, on the but guy. there's but it's just you go and I go. Like yeah. there's it's just uh, you know I used to joke with uh, and I made this comment in the in the Dune episode that when I saw. Avengers, I think instead of storyboarding, they had a kid with his like Captain America figure and his Thor <laughs> figure, and they sort of banged them against each other and made like pew pew sounds, and then yeah. they said, film that. This is very much the same. It's just army men being smushed up against each other. Right. Uh, the only co- concept of strategy we have is just before, just before the battle, when they're sort of yes. lining up, we see the Kurgan, who's not at all overdramatic, <laughs> played by Clancy Brown, who, to give him credit, is actually a very good actor, but you can only do... You, you, you can only do so much with what you got. Yeah, in terms exactly. Of script and directing, and he's got this kick-ass looking helmet. He does. The whole know. suit of armor is bone. Is it? Yeah, and I'm not sure what that is. Like, is it maybe a lion or? I really uh, don't know. It's something scary something with teeth. Yeah, things. yeah, and, and he's got his head in it. It's, it's very. He's he looks cool as hell. Oh yeah. <sighs> there is one called Connor among them. I. Remember our agreement, Murdoch. The boy is mine. It's begun! Death to the McClough! And so that's how we discover that no one wants to fight Connor. Right. But he just stands around saying, no one will fight me, no one will fight me. It's like, okay, we got that the first two times it, you said it, buddy. Exactly. And it, it this- just it felt kind of... Again, it's one of those things where it's just getting bashed over the head with the story uh, instead yeah. of let it, just let us see that nobody's fighting. Reshoot it a little bit differently so we see people actively running from him. Well, yeah, well and there's that one scene who says, no, no, that's Connor, not him. And yeah, they yeah, run away. Yeah. In and around him while he's doing this, we get to see how brutal this battle is. Like mm-hmm. drowning men. Oh, and, yeah. You know, the, the priest, like the, the Catholic priest <laughs> who is, you know, who walked at the head of Clan McLeod. Like a guy bumps into him. He slits his throat. Okay, yes, I have a degree in ancient and medieval history. I cannot tell you whether that's realistic or not, <laughs> but I have trouble imagining that a, a Roman Catholic priest mm-hmm. in that era would do that. I just, yeah. I'm just, everything of my, my historical training screams, no, but again, this is the backwater of backwaters maybe, mm-hmm. but it, it's just, you know, I guess they're trying to transmit the idea that this is brutal. And yeah. Yeah. And eventually, you know, the big scary guy with the kick-ass armor shows up. Fight me! Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of lightning, and mm-hmm. it's not much of a fight. Like it's really not. Connor he, McCloud raises yeah. his, his sword, and the other guy just skewers him. Yeah. And then there's more lightning, and more dudes with spotlights holding, you know, <laughs> and flash bulbs, and yeah. And he turns the sword, and you know, then he gets sort of jumped by mm-hmm. uh, cousin, uh, you know, uh, cousin. Uh, Ang- it wasn't Angus. It was no, cousin Dougal. Dougal yes. Cousin Dougal and Angus. And Angus. And a bunch of others who drag this guy down. Yeah, and they just um, haul him off. And he says, another time, McLeod. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, I guess he doesn't want to be shown as immortal too. Otherwise, you know, they'll like burn him at the stake. So right. it's better to play dead and track down Connor later. Yeah. And then we see Connor sort of lying there. Well, that was, uh, no, then we jump back to present day. Right, he we see because yeah, we see him lying on the ground, yeah. having just been stabbed, and then we're immediately back to present day, which is you know nineteen eighty five or yeah eighty five or eighty five eighty five yeah. yeah, and him sort of racing in his cute little car. I don't know what it is. It's yeah, a, I didn't I didn't little, get a good look at it. It's like a European uh, convertible sports mm-hmm. car racing out of uh, Madison Square Garden. Doesn't get too far. No, he meets the cops 
who are not the hardcore, you know, professionally trained, <laughs> tactically minded NYPD of today. Yes. These are just assholes. Yeah, these are just dickheads with a beat. Yeah, everyone's screaming, move, move, move. Like, how many yeah. times do they yell, come on, move, yeah, move, move? move police brutality mm-hmm. 1980s style they slam him against the you know the the car and they mm-hmm. beat the shit out of him and they put a gun to his head and cock the weapon yeah, don't, don't move, move. Yeah. don't even breathe <laughs> you know thanks buddy this is the first of a bunch of neat transitions mm-hmm. we see we by the way this is also where we learn that his name his id is, is n- nash well mr nash because yeah. they take you know the cops take out his id so now we have two names for this guy right and then we sort of see him against the uh, pressed against the cop car and the camera pans into the cop lights yes which these are 1980s cop lights they're not the strobes you have now mm-hmm. they're literally it's a light that turns mm-hmm. you know it, it's the old style lights and then that bleeds into a view of the mcleod castle yeah with gorgeous red lighting in the background. And I, I don't know how that, that's got to be an effect. It has to be somehow. I'd imagine that they probably, Oh gee, you know what? It's I don't, I, yeah, yeah I don't have enough, it's, enough knowledge. We'd have to, to listen to, to the, we'd have to listen to like the, uh, the director's cut mm-hmm. or the uh, director's commentary. And I'm just yeah. not that keen. Doubly but, so because it's you know done in the eighties and that would not have been easy to do at that point. No, in time. No computer, now you could just run computers. it through a computer and you're golden, yeah. but, but it's, I mean, it's a beautiful shot of, mm-hmm. you know, the quiet village and, you know, and clearly the, the waning light and there's a, a bagpiper out front. And then we see, you know, immediately we see that he's received, Connor's received last rites. Uh, his woman is, is crying and, does she you, ever get a name? No. No. no they okay. never do. And, and Angus pulls her aside and... and it is over. No! <laughs> Other men are dying this day. No! I must attend them. No! Quiet. No! <laughs> He's an Islander by God. The last sound he hears should not be that of a wailing woman. But then, of course, you realize he's breathing. Yeah. Of course, they know he's breathing. He's not dead. He's dying. Dying. He's you know, just going to die. You know, and ideally, you give him to him while he's dying so we can yeah. hear him. But yeah, and we learn he's dying. And then, again, th- th- that last shot is just Connor McLeod lying in his bed with bandages across mm-hmm. his stomach. And, and like he took it in the gut. Yeah. In the 1500s, or let's be perfectly honest, in the 1940s, yeah. you took something like that. If you could not see a surgeon right away, you were done in fact if i did that to you right now and we could rush you to the hospital it'd still be a 50 50 chance because oh, at best. you know once you start slashing open a guy's guts you got all the goo in there and it's just not well, good you want to talk about the immediate effect of the uh the acid in the stomach degrading out the rest of the organs that it's dripping down onto on top yeah. of that you're going to have any kind of sepsis that could set in later on yeah. and there's a whole tangent we could go on about S- just says our paramedic that. says the paramedic <laughs> on the podcast yeah so uh, it's pretty bad but it's neat because you see 
like you see him lying there and you see flashes of light and you're not sure why. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly we're seeing the body of the guy McLeod killed in Madison right. Square Garden and, and it's flash bulbs. And that was kind of neat. That was they a do really a few good effect. The later, there's the one later where he's, he's, he's sitting in his museum and you hear the banging and you realize mm -hmm. it's him on the, uh, yes. on the anvil, which is really cool. Uh, before we go on from that yeah. scene, I did want to ask you one thing. So mm -hmm. this is the first time that Connor McLeod dies. In, in 1536, yes. In 1536. That's where he's killed. Okay. Yeah. So you gain the power of being immortal when you die for the first time. That's the, that's the, what we learn, yeah, from the, uh, from the show. Mm -hmm. They actually depict uh, an immortal who's like a kid. He's like mm -hmm. 12. Okay. Who was, it's, it's traumatic death that does it for you. Right. Because they actually show one guy where he, uh, like one immortal, he finds, because you, you like, clearly, the Kurgan knows who Connor is. Yeah. So probably he's wandering through Scotland, and he feels it and go, this guy is an, what would you call it, an, a not yet immortal, but he's got it. Yeah, so, that's, yeah, that's where I was kind of going with it, is just, I couldn't sort of rectify that in my own head, is yeah. why is he specifically going after this guy who has not yet become immortal? Does and, he know yeah. that he will? And that's what they, yeah, they sort of bring that up later, that an immortal, because, you know, they can sense each other coming, yeah. and clearly you don't yet have to actually be immortal. In the series... They show an immortal who finds a young boy, mm -hmm. arranges for him to be an orphan. Of course, the kid doesn't know that. He adopts him, trains him into his sort of early 20s, you know, the ideal, you know, 21, 22, yeah. peak physical condition, and then shoots him and kills him. Okay. Because you'll, now you'll be like that forever. Okay. So it's the idea is that if Connor McLeod had been a farmer and had mm -hmm. never raised a sword, he could have just grown old and died. But right. it's, it, this is the problem with this. It, it's a clum, like, the show tried very desperately to create a backstory, and they do a mostly good job, yeah. but it's terribly clumsy. Mm -hmm. And then the guys who do the shows, Davies and Panzer are their names, they produce this one, they they undercut themselves by doing the movies as well and doing right. them differently. Yeah. It's like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like, make a decision. Well, but there's so many there's so many other questions that can go go off at this point here. Like the other question. Like, why did they make this film? Well, I, I <laughs> who I, gave them money? Some, <laughs> somebody, somebody yeah. with a lot of time and a lot of yeah. you know. Um, but like. If if an immortal has their hand cut off, what happens? What's the story there? Can can these guys be amputated? We see them being scarred, but there's at no point. I, where I, I mean, are they like lizards? Either they yeah. go back? I I don't think so. I don't know. I, I don't think they ever got that gory with a television show Fair. or network TV. I guess I don't know. It's it it, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. It's, they do make some more depth when they, you know, like the second movie is, is a, a, a toss up. It gets a throwaway. Literally, they yeah. pretend it doesn't exist. Then they make okay. the third one and then and that one doesn't exist either. Like they have to keep making movies and saying the previous ones don't exist. Okay. Um, it's really bad that way. Uh, and they keep trying to add layers of complexity, but they never quite manage it. And they do it clumsily. And mm -hmm. it's like at some point, these dudes who make this series are going to have to be told, go sit in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> go go get a job at 7-Eleven yeah. or something. You shouldn't be making movies. Right. Uh, but these guys have made a 30-year career out of these. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. But yeah. Okay. Anyways, so, uh, let's move on. We spent more time on the first 17 minutes of this film than it deserves. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so now we're back in uh, in the crime scene and it's an absolute chaos. Yeah. And you know, the, the place, you know, the crime scene is not being cleared. There's endless amounts of, you know, people trying to get to their cars and... You know the press, and we find this sword that the other guy had the the Toledo Salamanca. If you're curious, that's not a name for a sword. Toledo is a place in Spain, yeah. and Salamanca is a place in Spain. Yeah. So okay, so I have a sword here. It's the Calgary Edmonton, <laughs> and um, it's it's a really valuable. Sword. I mean, look, Toledo in the 1500s in that era, they did produce the best steel in Europe. Right. 
in, in Toledo, Spain. Mm-hmm. I'm not because they were they were taking technology of Europe and mixing it with Moorish technology. That's okay. Muslims from North Africa. Yep. Uh, you know, hundred years after the, the Muslims have been driven out of Spain. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's sort of a mix of culture, so a mix of technology and know-how, and they wound up producing some kick-ass blades. When people say, "Oh, this," you know, I, I bought this sorted, you know. Knives are us. It's from Toledo, Spain. Well, great. And if it were five hundred years old, it'd be noteworthy. Now no, it's just it's they still just have a, a knife. stuff. Well, yeah. Now they, I mean, they still have a they have a metalworking and knife making and, sure. and and cutesy sword like this, some of the shit you see here yeah. around me because I collect swords. A lot of the stuff is made in Toledo, mm-hmm. but it's meant to hang on walls and not be used in battle. Right. But yeah, Toledo. Like this woman, uh, Brenda, who is with forensics. We know right away. Good her old first Brenda. Like, Damn it, Frank. Forensics are supposed to be notified at the same time as homicide. Holy shit. So immediately we know what she is, and then creepy bald guy, hello, Brenda. You look very nice, Brenda. Hashtag me too. <laughs> and like, so great, creepy cops, you know. But I mean, in the 80s, a woman cop, like there was one who busted, yeah. uh, who busted Nash. Yes. Which, that's the first time I saw that, was watching it with you. Oh, really? I, first time I noticed. Mostly because I've always watched the, sort of the, the theatrical the, cut, okay. which is really poor quality and they hadn't cleaned it up. Right. The director's cut was released for DVD, they cleaned it up digitally. So, but it was so dark you never saw that woman before. But okay. very few female, very few women in the NYPD. Yeah. She comes across the sword, she clearly knows w- what it is, specifically. <laughs> what the hell have you got? A Toledo Salamanca. A what? A sword, Frank. A very rare sword. Was it worth much? Only about a million bucks. Any antique dealer on Hudson Street could tell you that. We don't yet know why. Yeah. We won't know for a while, but everyone's already making jokes about the about the fact that this guy's got his head cut off. <laughs> and I think oh. that was the first time we had a, a don't lose your head joke. Garfield, the cop who, yeah. who, who busted Nash, don't move, pal, and who will later uh, speak, you know, uh, with respect about his possible sexuality. Yes, um, yes, oh God. Will, oh, yeah, 1980s. He says, yeah, so what do you think the cause of death was, detective? Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a funny, you gotta admit, it's a funny joke. It is, it is a really good <laughs> you one. Know? It's, it's something that you would, I, I would expect to hear at that point, like, so, like people who are so desensitized that just making a making a quick yeah. joke about it new york in the 80s i mean mm. people now they don't I, I think most younger viewers including yourself will not realize that in the 80s new york was no. a rough it was a rough town and so it was in the 60s and 70s a lot of people have suggested that the way uh, trump views new york is very much stuck in his view of new york in the 80s okay it was it was a rough place to be and the cops were fighting a losing battle and then giuliani came in and i'll give him credit he cleaned up the streets yeah he since lost his goddamn mind well uh, yeah a little bit three things you can expect to hear from giuliani a noun a verb and 9 11 <laughs> and now that and now the phrase no collusion but oh, yeah he's back in the day he was the mayor and he cleaned up the city just mostly by professionalizing the cops much more than they had been. But mm-hmm. at this point, everything's very dirty, if you notice. Yeah. This is, the 1980s was sort of before the beginning of urban renewal. So, you know, everything's much more grimy. And in the midst of all this chaos, now we have Nash in the police station. And you got to admit, it's kind of funny dialogue. Like, so you're an antique dealer. What's this? A sword, <laughs> like, and then and he says, oh, I, "I think you went down to that. Uh, I think you went down to that parking lot. You argued over the sword because uh-huh. you're an antique dealer, uh-huh. and you cut his head off. And you got to admit, McLeod's theory is even better. It's yeah, like, want to hear another theory? This Fazil was so upset about lousy wrestling tonight, he went down to the garage and, in a fit of depression, cut off his own head. That's not funny, Walt. 
you gotta admit it's and funny. It was funny. It's there, a good line. There are moments of good writing in this movie. Yes, there, there are. really there, are. There really are. That and there's a few good turns of phrase. Yes. But then it gets ugly, and, and unfortunately, we think it's ugly. But in the '80s, this would have been sort of whatever. Right. Which is Garfield says, "Are you faggot, Nash?" Mm-hmm. And even back then, I knew that was mean. Yeah. But now it's like. If a cop said that, he'd be on desk duty for six months and undergoing a great deal of sensitivity training, and rightfully so. If that lucky, you know, well, yeah, yeah, he might. Well, if he did, it, if he did it on on Facebook, he right. could get his ass fired and yeah. deserve it. Yeah. But back then, that was just the way to go. Mm-hmm. And you know, Garfield, to the to the credit of the filmmakers, Gar- Garfield gets his ass kicked by Connor McCloud. He does. Um, you faggot, Nash. Why, Garfield? You cruising for a piece of ass? I'll tell you what happened, Russell. You went down to the garage for a blowjob. Just didn't want to pay for it. Huh. You are sick. Hey, hey! Hey, hey, hey what are you doing? Then we're through. Dash, we're just getting started. Okay. All right, fair. <laughs> you know, and then we get to meet the Kurgan again. Oh, Jesus. Totally not overact. No, not at all. <laughs> and he's just, now he's like this weird ass punk rock slime yeah. bag with leather. But if you notice, he and doesn't chain. Have, And chains. But if you notice, he's cut the right arm off his off his jacket presumably so he has uh, better reach with his sword right because those you know those thick leather jackets i don't imagine are great for sword no i've i've worn you know a leather jacket or two every now and again and it's it's not easy to move in those things the thicker ones yeah yeah Yeah, and and so yeah so he's cut it off and he's got you know the spikes everywhere typical punk yeah exactly he's trying to go for that very early that 80s punk transitioning into like metal wave that was coming out of san francisco at the time yeah, fair enough yeah. you know way, no, no, way more than that than i did i was i was into classical music back yeah, in the fair. day but yeah and then he goes we see him he goes into this roach motel yeah. which has got the generic drunk black dude with the hat <laughs> hey man with you know with that with that voice yeah and, you know the, the, the creepy guy behind the counter with the leopard skin mm-hmm. i don't uh, know tank what, top sort tank of thing top, icky yeah. you, and he's got like earrings which you can get these days guys with the earrings yeah. no big deal but no. back then a guy with a long dangling earring was creepy as hell right and, and, and then he, he asks for payment, and he pulls out the wad of 20s. And as soon as he pulls out the wad of 20s, the sleazy guy behind the counter goes, Oh, yeah, man, whatever you need. If you need coke or blow or hookers, and you just let me know. Yo. Uh, hey, uh, if there's anything you need, you know, broads, so blow, just dial O, huh? It's a great tagline. You should sell that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Welcome to the Ramada Inn. Need a blow? <laughs> Dial O. Just, I don't think that's going to... Doesn't your girlfriend work in the hospitality? Or, uh, she yeah. used to. She got the hell out of the... So did I, for that matter. Yeah, fair enough. Except uh, I, I, was, I, I, I was back at house. I didn't give it him. Yeah, Dave used to be... Uh, you know, oh, Dave was in the culinary, too. Yeah, but I, I'm pretty sure that none of the hotels you worked at ended the, uh, the, the welcome spiel with, if you need a blow, Dial O. So at least I hope not. Well, um, not at the good places. Not at the good places. <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason... The New York Police Department has carbon dating material. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but they have well, carbon dating. Yeah, I I was really confused. Like, this is super early for a mass spectrometer. Like, how do you have... Well, they a- had carbon dating back then, but not in the NYPD. No, not in, like, Precinct what? 13 in the we, NYPD. Why would any NYPD? They have to go to a university. But apparently she realizes there's something weird about that sword, that mm-hmm. it's dated wrong. And then next thing we know, she's back in Madison Square Garden. Right. 
conveniently at the exact same time that Connor, uh, McLeod. Connor McLeod is retrieving his sword because in sweeping the uh, crime scene, they failed to look in the gut, the overhead yes. water funnels. And okay, and he creepily follows her to some some bar where, if you notice, they haven't paid their lighting bill. No, they haven't. They're pretty um, dead in there. The lighting. Look at the. It's in the middle of the night. And look at the light shine mm-hmm. through those windows. I mean, it it looks great. It does, but but what putting the hell is there? Yeah, like at the same time. <laughs> again, do they have like a spotlight and they're supposed to be pointing at the sky and it's, they decide to turn yeah. it into this bar and. She apparently is an alcoholic, we've learned, because she pours, I'm not sure what that is, I'm going to go with brandy. So it's brandy, and she fills that sucker to the top, mm-hmm. and in one gulp, bottoms half of it. Yeah. Now, I'm a lightweight, that much would just put me on the ground, mm-hmm. but at that, you know, while she's drinking, Connor McLeod has slipped into the, the bar and, you know, sort of mumbles out, Go to the garden much? No, no, no. he, uh, he well, orders, orders something. Glen Morangie. What is that? Scotch. What? Is that what that is? Okay. Yeah. Say when. When. <laughs> Excuse me a minute, Brenda. Double Glen Morangie on the rocks. Glen Morangie, right. Go to the garden often. What'd you what say? What did you say? Madison Square Garden. Do you go there often? Why? Basketball, the circus, wrestling. Why are you asking me about the garden? Have you been following me? I'd like to walk you home, Brenda. Yeah. And then she goes over, it's like, what? And it's like, clearly he's following her. And, it, and the punchline? I'd like to walk you home, Brenda. Yeah. Which, that totally, yeah. I've been following you, yeah. and I'm creepy guy in a uh, in a trench coat. I'd like to follow you home. Right. Take me now. Yeah. Not so much. Though we um, did miss the best part of her in the uh, in the parking garage of the garden where she has the metal detector. Oh, yeah, and finds the shards of metal from his 2,500-year-old... <laughs> katana which is 1500 years too early yeah do you see the chunks of metal the size yeah of like, like is that sword even still in one piece it shouldn't be like yeah because he takes when when mcleod takes his the other dude's head off mm-hmm. he gets it stuck in the concrete pillar right and it takes a good what would you say two inch deep gouge out of that yeah sucker? about that for the record no <laughs> let's let's start with the basics for the record no, no that yeah, doesn't happen yeah, yeah. and then i so said the the pieces she pulls out are like they're like three, four centimeters of strips of metal. Like yeah. that sword is done now. It should be anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's like a little little wispy thing right beside it. I thought, oh, okay, are they going with that? No. No, it's the big it's, hunk it's a of hunk metal. Of triangle. Yeah. It's uh, it's like your thumbnail worth of metal. Yeah. It's like if that much came off your sword, your sword is your blade is probably done. Oh, it's twenty five hundred years old. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but it's just yeah, it's just really dumb. Yeah. So she says essentially for whatever reason. Oddly enough, she's not interested in letting creepy dude in a trench coat yeah, follow her. I don't home. know. So she leaves and he follows her. Mm-hmm. And then at some point he gets ahead of her mm-hmm. and she's walking past a construction site. And he grabs her by the mouth and says, quiet. And then the Kurgan appears. And as I pointed out at the time, he clearly wants her to live. And he keeps bitching at her, leave me alone, stop following, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
if he had just let her walk on by, she'd be fine. But instead, we get the scene of the Kurgan coming at them. And that's, this is where it really started to drive me nuts, the fisheye yeah. camera. Like, they used that in the interrogation room. Right. And I didn't mind that so much. Right. But here, it's just, why show the fisheye? But then they have that really neat scene where he runs sort of through a steam tunnel. That was really well shot. I and, like that. You know, the tracking shot where it's backing up and, and, and he's sort of running along. and It's, it's a good looking shot. But mm-hmm. the rest, like everything else, every other fight, every it's just badly filmed. Yeah. And he never brings his sword out. No. Well, he drops it early Does on, he doesn't it? he? I don't remember. Because then he winds up picking up a piece of pipe. Yeah, pipe for a while. Yeah. And then he's got the, the chain he swings. Yeah. And Kurgan grabs that and yeah. drags him in. Um, I'm not sure why he doesn't use the sword, but yeah, well, he wants, and then the, and then the police helicopter shows up. How that police, <laughs> how that police helicopter spotted in the pitch, like it's a, yeah. it's, it's dark. There's no they're street lights. Well, they're not in an alley. They're in a construction site. Oh yes, that's right. They right? get into the so construction site. So how the site. police, and that police, by the way, how we didn't hear that police chopper come in because it's low. Yeah. Like wicked low. Turns on the lights. Apparently they're stealth until you flip on the lights and then you can hear them. Hey, freeze. And then you run off. It's like, hey, wait, come, come back, back here. here. Yeah. Yes. Okay, sure. Yeah, sure, officer. Yeah. Right on yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm busy. I'm, I'm in a fight to the death with a psycho with a sword. Yeah. But the police, the police guy in the helicopter says I should wait. Okay. So, and they run off and, you know, she catches up with them and says. Stop. Who in the name of God was that? Called you Highlander? What did I mean? There can only be one. Only one. What? Listen, lady, you almost. I want to Shut up! Don't you ever follow me again? You only have one life. You value it. Go home. Okay, fine. Then why did you grab her to begin with? If yeah. you don't want, like, he goes. He facilitates back and forth between stalking her mm-hmm. and telling her to run away. Dude, make up your mind. Yeah, he's really not sending some clear signals here. That's the lack of social skills, the exactly. 400 years. Of, the lack of charisma, period. That's the one thing I'll, I'll hand it to them when they do the, the show when they have Duncan McLeod. Mm-hmm. He's a Lothario. He's a ladies' man. Oh, okay. And he's really suave. And the thing is, is that Christopher Lambert has no charisma. Adrian Paul, the actor, does. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just kind of silly. And then immediately we're back in uh, 1536 in, what's the of the village? Do they give it a name? Glenfinnan. Glenfinnan, yes. Glenfinnan, right. And it's the next morning, and they're hanging around in the bar, as Scotsmen do, and, and the priest is there with them, as Catholic priests do. You saw the Windangers. He should have died. I see he's got the devil in him. In, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the theatrical cut, the only time we see the woman is when she's wailing over his corpse, and the next day in the village. Oh, okay. So, we're never quite sure why. Like she seems really enthusiastic. He's in league with Lucifer, yeah. and he's she's smiling. And you know, obviously, we realize now she she's his girlfriend, you know, bride to be, whatever. Yeah. And she's clearly that much more upset that the devil is in him. And as silly as it sounds, these people are pig ignorant. Yeah, pretty if much. If if anyone outside that priest can read in that village, I'd be shocked. Yeah, I can I can agree um, with that. You know, so no, none of these people can read and write. I don't mean they have a grade two education. I mean, no. they have no education. No, I, well, you're at a point in history where no um, one reads. Writing is well, disseminated by the church to the, to the priests, and you'll be lucky if. Yeah, or if you're exceptionally read. wealthy, you're taught, but chances yeah. are your, your tutor is quite often going to be a priest. Yeah, like it's, 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 this is well before public schools. These people are pig ignorant. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if someone the next morning woke up 
with no wound. Yeah. And that is a fatal wound. Like we, like we said, that's yeah, a fatal wound today. As silly as it as, as they present it, it's perfectly reasonable that they would think that the devil is in him. I yep. get that. And, and their reaction is actually quite reasonable. Mm-hmm. Connor shows up and they break a bottle over his head. And that's actually the most... That's the most unrealistic part of that is that, that <laughs> the bottle that the bo- that there would be a glass bottle of yeah. alcohol in the highlands of Scotland mm-hmm. in a sh- in, in the village of fuck off Glenfinnan that there would be a bottle like that's the unrealistic part. Well, that and the bottle is so finely crafted that one swing of the thing shatters it over it like his head. Candy yeah. glass, like exactly, like it's it would have been anything but that. Yeah. But the, the way they sort of drive him out of the village, they hook him up to, I'm guessing that's a yoke. Like it's a, it's like what a it looks like. Yoke or yeah. sort of, uh, not a bull yoke, an oxen, uh, oxen yoke. yoke. And they, everyone takes a swing at him. Everyone wants, I mean, it's not like they're trying to prove to each other that they, no. they hate the devil. Like, that's a given. No. Uh, it's a Catholic village. It's just that everyone wants a swing of the devil. Here's yeah. a chance to take a swing of the devil. And like, they're almost enthusiastic about him, except for the old guy, Angus, Angus who's like, there'll be no burning here today. Yeah. So I'm guessing he's the chieftain. Either that um, or just like the really tribal well respected. Or, well, not or, tribal chief. That's not like well, the, no, the family. I, I'm the pretty clan, sure that clan head. The clan. I think the clan term is chieftain. Is that, I may okay. be wrong, and, and to our Scottish view listeners, I apologize, but it's a shitty movie. Do we have anybody listening from Scotland yet? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We <laughs> have we, we have a lot from Europe. We have uh, we have some from Japan. We have at least one guy in Seoul. Uh, hi, Paul. Hi, Korea. Uh, his name is Paul. Oh, hi, Paul. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a former uh, colleague of mine. Oh, from yes, school. that's right. I remember um, you telling me. Yeah, that. and um, we have some in, in Europe and in, in the States, but I'm not sure. It just says Europe. Right. So it doesn't because there's specific. one place. It's just Europe. It's just, yeah, yeah. just that one country. But yeah, it's, it's so I, we'll, we'll go, we'll, let's go with the head of the, yeah. the head of the village. Yeah. And he says, you know, like, walk out of here. Yeah. I had always hoped in the many iterations after this show, like an endgame, where we go back and we get to see. Connor McLeod later on in his life, right when the villagers of Glenfinnan finally decide to burn his mother at the stake. Oh wow! I had hoped we would see Angus again. Mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe the actor wasn't interested or wasn't available, or maybe the guy has passed on. I don't know. But I always, you know, Angus is one of the most interesting. For all we we don't we know nothing about him. I would like to have learned more about him. Yeah, that clearly he doesn't buy into the devil bullshit. No, he doesn't. He knows that there's something going on, something he can't explain, but, but he's not ready to burn a close friend of yeah, his at the stake. But we, but but he says, you know, walk out of here. Yeah, here's a character with some nuance to him. Mm-hmm. So of course we bash right past him. Yeah, and he wanders off, and we t- we see it takes him to that night to to get the damn yoke off. Right. Because we see him in the, in the in the moonlight, he still got it on, and then the yeah. next scene, he's got it off. Somehow, he managed to get that thing off of himself. Well, you could eventually hammer away long enough; you'll find a way. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Well, if you're you, immortal, you've kind of got you, some time to burn. Yeah, you dislocate your <laughs> you dislocate your shoulders or whatever. But yeah, he gets out of it, and then it's another one of these great transitions where we see him sort of sitting there with the moonlight, mm-hmm. and then it transitions to I'm guessing it's like a, on the side of the building. I think so. Um, yeah, and it's the Mona Lisa, just the face. Yes. It was either like an ad for an exhibit that had the Mona Lisa in it or something. Yeah. And, and that was, again, a nice transition. And we see Nash coming home to this old building. Right. And it's funny that they talk about that, you know, that he owns the, that he's, you know, he's been dying. We'll learn this later. Mm-hmm. He's been faking his own death, adopt, and then leaving the, uh, the place and all his wealth right. to, to names of kids who've actually died. And then he assumes their identity and moves on. And he says, you know, that the title of the building goes back to 1787. I promise you that building was not built in 1787. No. There is no possibility. First off, there's no way a building that large in New York existed in mm-hmm. the 1780s like that. It's just, that would have been, like, first off, 
it would have been like there's just no way. The, yeah, you can't you like, can't swing that one away. It, it's possible he owned title to the land and mm-hmm. has since. But if you look at the inside of the building, it's built with a lot of steel girders. Yeah, it's very. You didn't build steel girders in the 1780s. No. That doesn't happen until the Industrial Revolution. You could kind of wave that away. Maybe it's been like updated and modernized over and, the years. And reinforced, I guess. But it's just like, he has the title to the land. Yeah. New York, as we understand, it doesn't really start to appear until the but, Civil War. Yeah. But yeah, so as we're kind of going through this movie, it's really fascinating to kind of come at it from, again, uh, a more modern perspective. As we mentioned earlier, this is the first time I'm seeing it. And sort of as I'm, I'm going through the movie, you poke the little holes here and there. And... Yeah. Man, there's a lot of them, even at this point in time, where there's questions I've asked that just kind of pulled my attention away for long yeah. enough that I lost something. And, and you can't, a lot of these questions, and because you're asking me some of them, they can't yeah. be answered unless you've seen the right. show. And that shouldn't be the way it is. Anytime I hear someone say, well, you'd know that from Star Wars if you read this novel. No, yeah, it's a movie. No. If, if you can't explain it to me in the movie, it shouldn't be there. This isn't like Star Trek, where it's a television show that extends into the movies. Mm-hmm. So then you... But even then, like, I'll use an example, Star Trek Two. Right. Did you have to see the original series episode Space Seed? No. no. They explained to you what happens. Yeah. Now, let's be honest, most of the people would have seen it and they'd understand, but you get it. Mm-hmm. Like, these movies are self-contained, whereas Highlander, they're laying down, they're, they're hinting to things that they haven't even thought up yet and won't be yeah. thought up for another 10 years when the show is out. Yeah. And it's just... Yeah, a movie that is that tries to create its own lore but doesn't bother doing it properly and yeah. doesn't bother exploring it is very frustrating. It is. So anyway, we go inside his home. Yeah. So it's his storefront. It's a two-story penthouse that mm-hmm. that's, I mean, of course, yeah, he's probably quite wealthy. Yeah, well, still, I mean, he's, he's been Jesus. an antique dealer since the 1700s. So well, we I don't guess know he... that. We don't know that. We don't know how long he's been an antique dealer. Oh, fair. I'm guessing he's collected a lot of this stuff himself, which yeah. is clever. Yeah, and, and there's a neat Another transition, transition. Where he's sort of sitting in this gorgeous, gorgeous museum room, which is circular with an inset with, with sort of like in sort of a pit. Mm-hmm. There's a couch. Yeah. Sunken living room. Sort sunken of living room. And I said, I want, I want that room. Yeah. And then we see him and he sort of keeps closing his eyes and opening them. And then we hear this ping, ping, mm-hmm. ping. And it, we realize he's thinking back to himself beating on a piece of metal on an anvil. And we right. realize it's a few years later and Connor McLeod has clearly He's met someone named Heather. They are married. They live in what I'm guessing is an abandoned keep. Kind of what it looks like. Someone built it, and they've walked away from it, and someone has sort of moved in and taken it, which, you know, in the middle of the Highlands, I suppose is likely. Yeah, I mean, Um, I guess I don't have anything to say no. Yeah, and I can't say one way or the other, but clearly they sort of live in the place, and we meet Heather, and and clearly they're a young, horny couple. and, uh, and (laughs) Clearly. And in the midst of getting it on, uh, Sean Connery finally shows up. We're we're what thirty nine minutes into this film, uh, and he shows up dressed in this Spanish finery from the fifteen hundreds, which I love. I would yeah. wear that today. Well he, well, he keeps calling him a Spanish peacock <laughs> because he has a cloak yeah. made of peacock, peacock feathers. feathers, and he says, well, "My name is Juan Sanchez Filolobos Ramirez. You know, was a chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain, yeah. and I am at your service." Mm. And she looks at him, "Who? Yeah, you know." <laughs> And that's where he realizes, you know, I'm I'm one of you. And then they sort of lay it out. Yeah. You are... Actually, he never says he's immortal, but you are like me. You're feeling the quickening. Right. And we then, are brothers. We are brothers. And then yeah. so we discover that apparently being a uh, an immortal makes you a lightning rod. <laughs> and he says, that feeling you feel is the quickening. Yeah. No, no. That feeling is third degree burns and shock. <laughs> See, that is something that I, I do really like is that at least there's not a whole lot of special effects in the movie yeah. where you have to... I, I find with a lot of special effects, I sit there and I, I just look at the screen and go, 
how awkward was it for you to have to act that out? Like, yeah. Anytime yeah. I'm watching Star Trek and they're playing with a force field, like how how much fun did you have going? Oh no! Yeah, the Marcel Marceau and the yeah you know, exactly the, the, the mime with the fake uh, the fake wall. That yeah, but he does a good job of it. They do a good job of acting through the special effects of, of getting shocked yeah. by the lightning. Yeah. yeah, and I'm pretty sure what it was is they filmed that place during a thunderstorm mm-hmm. and they filmed a, a lightning storm somewhere else and then they had Christopher Lambert and laid them all together. Right. Yeah, but it's but again, it's neat. You get the storm and then immediately we're back transition into the modern era. And New York is having a storm. Right. Again, clever transition. Mm-hmm. And that's where we learn that uh, Brenda. Brenda. Hello, Brenda. Hello, You're very Brenda. nice, Brenda. Uh, she yeah. She's stalking Russell Nash now. Yes. And she looks at his file. And, you know, the funny thing is the picture you see, which is obviously a mugshot. Yeah. For years, for some reason, the entertainment industry was using that as his headshot. Oh, really? I don't know why, but... It's they, not a flattering picture. No, it's not. Well, it's a freaking mugshot. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is they don't even... For the mugshot, they don't even take off his trench coat. They... Yeah. They, they close it over him. It's like, what is he, a flasher? Like, hey, baby. <laughs> um, it, it's just... It's an awful... It's just... It, it's it's awful. And, of it course, is. we go back to back to his apartment. Yeah. So he can sharpen his sword and we can see that he needs to clean his fish tank. Mm-hmm. And that brings... He he finds Brenda's book. Right. That's yeah, the first time we see uh, it. Yeah, and that's where we realize why she's so interested in these swords. She's yeah. written a book called was it, A Metallurgical History of Sword Making. Ancient Sword Making. Ancient, ancient Sword Making. You know, and then we think back to where he learns he's immortal, which is them balancing on a boat in the middle of uh, of a lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, much actually as it... And it's the same scene in Karate Kid 1, by the way. Is it? It is. I suppose so. Uh, and the same thing that... The teacher, Mr. Miyagi mm-hmm. or Ramirez, Ramirez, are sitting in the boat, and the student, either Daniel LaRusso or Connor McLeod, says something that pisses the teacher off, and he rocks the boat and yeah. he falls. The difference is, is that uh, Daniel LaRusso can't screaming, "I can't swim!" and, and Miyagi says, "Stand up!" and he realizes it's only like waist deep water. Yeah. In the case of Connor McLeod, he's he's like, "I'm drowning!" He says, "You can't drown, you fool! You're immortal!" <laughs> and then he stands up, but he's on the bottom of the and lake. Goes, <laughs> yeah, and he's swinging his sword, and it's like, "I can breathe." I'm not dead. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's where you see, like, that's where he starts to learn that there's a lot of, at that point, exposition. It's the Mm -hmm. one point where essentially an an actor looks at the screen and says, here's what's going on. Yeah. If you lose your head, it's over. You cannot fight on holy ground. And while, as he put it, one day you will feel an irresistible pull to a, a faraway land. Yep. New York, which is funny, Assassin's Creed Three. Where is the where is that story lead through five games? Right, uh, upstate New York. Yeah, upstate New York. Right, that's where the that's where the temple is. Uh, don't play the game of shit. Play, I did. I have. You played Assassin's Creed Three? Oh, I played it when it came out. I bought it for full price. Me too. Did you finish it? Uh, yeah, I did. I managed to beat my way through it. Wow, you, I gave up. Did you? And I tried again. By the way, they're remastering that game. Oh God! Why? When you buy Assassin's Creed Odyssey, if you buy uh, the season's pass, you yeah. get the remastered version of it. I'm good. But they, well, <laughs> they promised that they fixed the game, so we'll see. I'm and I sure. get it for free, so whatever. Yeah. yeah, sure. It's a shitty game, guys. Don't buy it. You want a good sword fighting game? Get For Honor or any other Assassin's Creed that's out there. Get Origins. That rocks. Or like I said, two weeks we'll find out if Odyssey's is good, but I think it will be. It, but, it looks good. Yeah. But anyway, back but, to the yeah. but back back to the Scotsman pretending to be an Egyptian, pretending to be a Spaniard. The only thing that like that I missed so far was the style of swords, and that gets that gets addressed later on in the film. Yeah, it, it is kind of neat because like this this the swordsman like they don't really talk about it a lot, but he's got a katana, a yeah. Japanese samurai sword mm-hmm. with this gorgeous uh, ivory handle, mm-hmm. which is anachronistic because where in Japan would you find ivory? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, <laughs> the word Masamune just sort of... Well, Masamune is a Japanese name. Well, I, I know, what? but like, but his his name as a sword maker just sort of goes... Well, we learn Oof. that later. Oh, right. That's we do well. learn that we, we, in, the, in the village when he tries to tell him to leave, his, yeah. leave Heather. But it's like, 
why would you have a again how does i guess there's the ivory trade so you'd get it through china but it just yeah. it's everything about the sword is fucked up yeah mcleod um, has got this big ass scottish broadsword yeah. with a beautifully like they even show it oh, in yeah. there uh, you only really see it close up twice the first time when it's thrown and you mm-hmm. have to pause the video mm-hmm. and the second time when he buries heather he abandons the blade yes uh, and it just says it's mcleod drawn beautifully mm-hmm. with this gorgeous etchings on it like it's like clearly he was given given the sword and i have no idea how he has the sword considering he was driven out of his village with nothing but the clothes on his back yeah and an oxen yoke yeah. maybe he snuck back and, and, and snuck back and, and found a way it, to get someone to make one for him or is it why would yeah but that would be expensive sword and and why would he have mcleod put on it if it, i'm guessing this because this it is in fact the sword he took into battle with him so yeah. my guess is he snuck back and stole it or maybe someone delivered it to him again maybe that's a scene with angus that never came to fruition i just part of me thinks that there is another scene with angus in the movie but honest to god i don't remember because these movies are bad i really don't Um, i mean but the point is he has his sword yeah and yeah like we get to see the quickening which keeps having a different meaning is it the lightning is it the fact that he can feel the stag and run through the or along the beach or is it just the act of him absorbing the energy from the other uh immortal like well, that's sort of the idea that they play, that the reason the quickening gets to be a bigger deal the further you go on mm-hmm. is that you have the power of every immortal you've killed. Right. So it becomes sort of like a, sort of like the pebble or the snowball down the mountain. Yeah. That the more you gather, the bigger you become, and the more power you have. Right. And so that's why in the end, you He's know. sort of a demigod. They, they, yeah, they're, they're quite powerful because, and that and maybe that's why, you know, the electricity is just these people have so much power in them. And then, yeah, and that leads that leads then to the scene in the village where, again, this village looks like it could be from 4,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago. It's like, these people live in shit. Yeah. They are covered. I mean, the only thing that suggests they live in a slightly more modern era in the 1500s is they have woven cloth right. in, in tartan patterns. Yes. Which would have been rough. Well, I mean, the Greeks and Romans could have done it, but didn't because that's just not the styles they had. No. But in many, like, that's the only thing that suggests these people aren't living in caves. Yeah. Other than that, this is the backwater. Pretty much. And Ramirez explains, you can't have kids. You really need to leave her. Mm-hmm. He won't. McLeod. I was born 2,437 years ago. In that time, I've had three wives. The last was Shakiko, a Japanese princess. Her father, Masamuni, a genius, made this for me. 593 B.C. It is the only one of its kind. Like his daughter. When Shakiko died, I was shattered. I would save you that pain. Please, let Heather go. Japan did not have... The Japanese, as you know them, did not live in Japan in that time period. Um, yeah, oops. Uh, the, the Chinese didn't immigrate to Japan until much later, but whatever. And he says, you know, his father, a genius, made me this. Yeah. And that's why we understand that the katanas weren't made the way we understand them yeah. as these beautiful pieces of art until the 1000s AD. He has it 1500 years too early. Early. Yeah. Uh, with, again, with an ivory handle. So I guess once you're going to go bat, batshit crazy with the swords, you might as well go right over the deep end. Though I do um, love how no matter what happens with Japanese metal, they always mention the folded 200 times things. You know why that was? It's because Japanese steel was shit and they needed to fold it to bring out the impurities. Yeah, but the <laughs> folding also means they're flexible. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Right? They bend because yeah. if they were brittle, they chatter. The artistry of the sword is, is, is undeniable. Oh, of course. Um, but this sword 
There is nowhere on earth mm-hmm. had the technology or the understanding to Ew. produce a katana mm-hmm. folded 200 times no. in 500 or 1000 BC. It doesn't like, happen. I don't care how much of a fucking genius you are. <laughs> the know-how didn't exist. The technology didn't exist, which means he would have had to have been a metal... Masamuni would have had to have been a, a metallurgical genius mm-hmm. and an engineering genius to yeah. produce a, a fire hot enough. Mm-hmm. It's just... Again, these people, apparently, in addition to not being good filmmakers, were not good at reading history. So, well, okay. You know, but it is a little bit tragic when you realize, like, there's a bit of a tragic love story here. Maybe mm-hmm. that's why in the, the show, a lot of the women who follow this, it was for the sort of the bodice-ripping, right. harlequin romance, outlander sort of feel to it. Maybe that's what, we know that's what brought them in because the surveys of who watched that show showed 55 or 56% female audience. And clearly when you'd go to conventions, you'd ask, well, what is it you love about it? Well, I love the romantic idea Mm -hmm. of this man who's loved women throughout time. Okay, whatever. And you sort of get the idea that, you know, there's sort of a tragedy between Connor and Heather that he could never love anyone ever again. Right. And then the the next scene is, of course, is Ramirez telling this, this body story about how he climbed, he climbed up, was it climbed up the ivy to yeah. go through into the window of a woman and found she wasn't she, there. She wasn't there and someone else was there. She was very helpful. Yeah. That's actually kind of cute. Yeah. And then the Kurgan shows up and why did he wait five years? Why? Like the guy, like dude, you know? Yeah. Like, you got to kind of wonder, like as, as immortals, do they just, just go? Just, okay, well, I've, I've, I've spent some time here. I'm just going to go wander and see if I can find another immortal. And then on come back later. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll come back. Um, I got my hit list. Yeah. And then there's a really stupid fight. Yeah. And the set's backwards, by the way. Like, the whole point of curving staircases mm-hmm. is they're supposed to curve the other way. Right. So the guy up top has free range with his right hand to swing. Right. And the guy charging up, presumably the attacker, mm-hmm. has to swing his right arm against a wall. Yeah. Here it's backwards. The guy retreating up the staircase, which is Ramirez, mm-hmm. has his right arm against the wall. And the attacker, the Kurgan, with his right arm, is no one here is left-handed, is swinging freely. And we've discovered one of two things. Either the Kurgan (laughs) swings much heavier than we thought, or they were storing, as you put it, thermite in the walls. (laughs) Because every time he taps the wall, it explodes. It really does. It's fantastic. There's uh, one of the later shots where he taps the wall, and then there's a clean break for about 20 feet as that section of wall falls out. Well, one of them is he taps the wall, and it crumbles inward. Oh, yes, that's right. Where the stagehand was clearly pushing the uh, paper mache rock. And it's just awful. It ends with a beautiful shot where there's nothing left of this. It's sort of a square tower that's fallen away, and the only thing left is the curved stone staircase built into the walls and all you have left is this sort of staircase to nowhere mm-hmm. with Ramirez because he's been he's been outclassed because yeah. he may be a better swordsman but Clancy Brown the actor is really tall yeah. he's six foot ten or whatever like he's he's a tall big guy mm-hmm. and yeah he beats Ramirez and Ramirez is left on his on his knees I mean the only thing Ramirez gets out of this is he slashes Kurgan's throat so yes. now instead of sounding like this he sounds like this my pretty like it's just yeah. It's bad acting, man. It is. It's Clancy Brown becomes a better actor later, I promise. I trust him. Um, but not here. No. And yeah, and he beheads Ramirez, and then he falls, mm-hmm. and he wakes up, and we, we, of course, it's pretty clear, he, hello, pretty, yeah. he rapes Heather. Yeah. She shows up to his antique store. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. He yeah. shows up at the, yeah, yeah, shows up at the antique store, and she, and he says, do you cook? And they set up a, 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 a date at her place, yeah. and it's funny because you see the bald-headed cop, hello, Brenda, outside. She doesn't know he's following her, mm-hmm. but the reason that's happening is because the bald-headed cop is following Nash and saw Brenda walk through the door into his 
uh, what do you call it, into uh, his, his uh, antique, store. antique store. So maybe she thinks they're in collusion. I mean, obviously, his co-workers, bald-headed dude and Frank, who's the the, the detective in charge of this case, yeah. they know what she's she's an expert in swords. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, they're following around. And so he looks. she looks out and sees bald-headed dude parked in his car. And then she's got a 45... Um, they used to call it the Saturday Night Special. Yeah. In every bad cop movie, it's the holster gun mm-hmm. in, the, in the ankle the holster. ankle holster. And she puts that in a drawer, and then she has a tape recorder. She puts in another one, yeah. which you got to admit is kind of cute, because when he shows up, she goes to finish getting ready, mm-hmm. and he pulls out the gun and says, nice place you got here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, isn't it nice? And then and then he says something else, says, what? And he pulls out the drawer with the recorder and leans in. Yeah. Nice place you got. It's just, yeah, that's kind of funny. It's and just like you... He's screwing with her. He is. And this, we were talking about this. The scene really had no major value to the plot because he shows up and says, I know things and then leaves. Yeah, because he gives her a gift and it's her book. Yeah. And and he says, how long have you known? It's like, I have an extensive library. And she says, what are you going to do? Because he's dangerous and she knows it. Yeah. He says, what are you going to do? And again, this is a nice turn of phrase. What are you going to do? The question is, what are you going to do? You going to turn off the tape or are you going to shoot me with a forty-five? Yeah. Why are you following me? Why is the bald-headed cop out there? But like you, like we said, what's the point in this scene other than it's a nifty little confrontation, which they could have done in his storefront mm-hmm. by saying, I know who you are. Why are you following me? Yeah. Like, And I get in movies, you, you kind of stretch things, you stretch reality out a bit to have a good scene. Right. But this scene could have been written just as well in the, yeah. in the storefront. What's the point? point yeah. oh look here i've got this book you might really be interested in slams the book down something like why it it's, it's I, frustrating it serves the only reason it serves in my mind is just to show connor's been around for a long time he's very clever. intelligent yeah, he's, he's clever, quite yeah. clever he's very observant yeah he's he's seen these tricks before in in different forms yeah i, I guess you know that he knows to look for the gun he yeah. knows to look for the tape recorder yeah. he knows he's been followed by the cops but nothing comes of the scene not really, no. Like because- nothing comes of it. So why, why not show all those things some other way? I, I get what you say that it's trying to show that he's like you say he's he's sort of a Sherlock Holmes. Like he's yeah. he he knows the tricks. He knows she's going to be armed. He knows she's going to be recorded. All these things. Yeah. But it's just done badly. I think it's just what it comes down to. No, you're right. The scene I, is just I, it's I a bad scene. I agree. You know? It's not a it's not a good scene. It's not a useful scene. It doesn't drive the action forwards yeah. much more than just. I know that you know that I know that you, you know. know. Yeah, and it's like uh, 20 other ways that could have been done exactly. better. And then we see him brooding later, and Rachel, who's his secretary, says, he says, like, I know you too well. Yeah. And, yeah. and then we get this terrible flashback scene, which was not in the theatrical cut, mm-hmm. where we see that in World War II, Connor McLeod found Rachel as a little baby. Yeah. And she gets, he gets gunned down, and he whispers, don't worry. It's a kind of magic. Mm-hmm. And even you groaned. And yeah, it, it, it's it's a bad scene, mm-hmm. and they admit they went back and made it later with like a camera, like with almost no money, yeah. and maybe they just shouldn't have. But you know what? I see that scene, and I almost go, that might have been the more interesting story to go throughout time with Connor. To, to see his relationship with Rachel. Well, not even just the relationship with Rachel. But I mean, it's, like, a, it's not a creepy relationship. It's no, clearly it's not. a father-daughter relationship. Exactly, but, but like... He's, he's tra- been around throughout all of history yeah, for the most part. Yeah, he's he's experienced it. Yeah. Let's What was he maybe, doing in Europe during the Second World yeah, War? He already lives in New really York. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. That um, would have been really cool for the TV series to go and explore. They never do. Yeah, I'm sure uh, that they don't. But. In um in Highlander Endgame, which brings up Duncan McLeod from the series and Connor McLeod from the movies. Right. And actually ends with Duncan 
being forced to kill Connor uh-huh. to take his power so he can take on another big bad, blah, 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 uh-huh. whatever. We get to see a brief scene where Connor McLeod is learning a particular type of sword fighting in Italy, mm-hmm. which is where the best sword fighting schools would have been in the 15 and 1600s. Right. And so we see he travels. Yeah. We know at some point when he comes back to Scotland to scoop up Duncan McLeod, actually mm-hmm. off a battlefield as well. Right. And we see he's really well dressed. So clearly he's figured things out and he's all over the place. And, but you look at some of the, like one of the, the, the flags he has is, is a revolutionary war mm-hmm. flag. Okay. So clearly he's, at some point in the 1700s, he decides, I mean, the, the, the famous battle, 1783, the battle on Boston Common, which I'm right. sorry, is fucking hilarious. That, that's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. It's funny. I, I, you may not like it, but I think it's great. <laughs> um, but clearly he has moved to America. Fuck it, I'm gone with Europe. Yeah. But clearly he's going back, too. And you're right. Like there's, there's a lot of potential here that they never get into. And part of it is, I don't think he wanted much to do with this, with this, the franchise anymore. Mm-hmm. Like he's in the, he's in the opening up, ep- like the pilot episode of the, the show. Yeah. And then he sort of goes away, and then we don't see him again until Endgame, right. and they kill him off, and I think he was thrilled with that. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, you know, whatever. But it's, yeah, you're right. Like, this is a this is a movie of lost opportunities. And then what happens? Uh, they go to her place, and they have that whole scene. Oh, shit. Yeah, we, we, we got that one backwards, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. So, yeah. It's, so then there's the whole bullshit confrontation. Yeah. And then we get to see in later years, uh, you know, the, the later 1500s when Heather is an old woman right. and he's still a young man and they play the music. Was it uh, No One Lives Forever, which yeah. is a very good Queen song. And we see sort of the tragedy of Heather dying and, and you know, mm. promise me you'll light a candle on my birthday. Where are we? We're in the highlands. Running down a mountainside. The sun's shining. It's not cold. You've got your sheepskins on. And the boots I made for you. It is kind of sad. It is. It's a nice you know, scene. I like that a lot. It at least gave him some character. Yeah. It was something other than Connor's angry. Well, that's the thing. The Connor of the past is actually kind of a nice guy. Yeah. He's He's got some social skills, but he's become such a dick. I'm not sure what Brenda, hello Brenda, <laughs> sees... I'm going to play that clip every time. God damn um, it. Every time. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to the finished episode. <laughs> every time you see, like, every time they encounter, it's clear Brenda has interest in him. Yeah. But he has nothing going for him. He left that. I think he's, the idea is he left that behind when he when he buried Heather. Yeah. And I, I guess that that's kind of the arc here is that he's a decent person until the first woman that he truly loves and it breaks his dies heart. Yeah. and breaks his heart and um, he becomes instantly jaded and bitter and angry yeah. and everything. And then the very and next scene, we get to meet Castigir, the black dude, yeah. who's wearing, at first I thought he was wearing like a Japanese kimono, but it's clearly like African it's, stuff. Yeah, it's African. And, yeah. and they said, like, let's have a party. It's like, oh no, the last party he had yeah. ended with that, you know, that, or sorry, the battle on Boston Common, yeah. which is a rapier battle. And McLeod is drunk out of his skull. Yeah. And the guy has to, Keep stabbing him and he keeps getting up. <laughs> now, I, I said in the film that the cutting was killing me. You mean like the film cuts? Yes. So, what I, sh- I should clarify, because the first the first time he gets stabbed, he gets stabbed, hard cut, climbing back up onto his yeah. feet. Stabbed, hard cut, climbing back onto his feet. Give, give us the first two. 
let us play out like he's mm-hmm. there for like 10 seconds and he starts to get back up and then yeah. he gets down and then you can do the the funny stab cut stab cut stab cut yeah uh because i love that uh, oh you think you think they, they they dragged it on too long too many times no no no, no, no. they they did it a good number of times but like start the joke a little bit later give us a little bit more of a slow burn leading into the joke i yeah i guess i don't i didn't mind it all that much uh then we come back to the Kurgan. Yes, and he stomps out of the uh, out of the hotel, and then he goes to meet up with. Yeah, we oh. we figure he's going out to see Castigar, but first we're introduced to some guy who's in one scene, who's this survivalist militia nut, yes. who's got uh, a Mac Ten and an Uzi and, and pistols and a shotgun mm-hmm. just in his front seat, yeah. driving to another to another bad uh, Queen song, Hammer to Fall. Um, I don't mind Hammer to Fall. I never liked nah. that. It's 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 part of their crappy eighties phase. I didn't nah. like it. But yeah, he's driving around and he drives through an alley for no reason I can figure out. And an empty lot because a building has been brought down. Again, this mm. is sort of just at the, the beginning of urban renewal. Right. There's sort of this you know, there's an empty lot between buildings and Castigear, this this African dude who's a friend of McLeod, is fighting it out with mm-hmm. The Kurgan, and we realize this guy, I don't remember what his name is, we'll just call him Militia Guy. Yeah. Uh, Militia Guy clearly is having some hallucinations because as he's running and like, go, 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 this is for real. It's like, who are you talking to, buddy? See, I, I read it in a slightly different way. My, he's living out re- Vietnam? No, my interpretation was that he's seen the articles about the headhunter, and that's what he's doing out he's looking, out looking for, looking for him? Pause? Yeah. yeah I, I guess. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's entirely possible. But at the same time, he's confused as to what he's seeing. Because he well, goes, what the hell is going on here? Wouldn't you be confused with what you're seeing when you see some two guys fighting in the middle of yes. Manhattan with swords and cutting each other's heads yes, off? Yes, but if I were looking for a headhunter. That's fair. I mean, you know, I, I can't I but can't. I, but I guess that. <laughs> I guess if you were looking for a headhunter, you'd expect a guy who was just sawing someone's head off as yeah. opposed to razor sharp. We don't know if, if the public knows it's a razor sharp sword cut or I, a razor sharp cut. We don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't think that they ever really mentioned it. All they mentioned well, they mentioned among some... the cops. Well, it was yeah, razor smooth. Remember, he makes yeah. the joke, really smooth shave. Yeah. You dick. You know, it's like, he says, yeah, it was whatever cut him was razor sharp. They yes. say that. They say that when they find the first sword. Yeah. Um, well, the first body. The first body. Thank um, you. Yeah. Yes. But at this point, I I mean, that might just be included in the police file and not released to the public. And this we guy's don't just know. out yeah. there looking for a serial yeah. killer. Yeah. So he comes across him and, and, and Castigar loses his head yeah. in one of the few sword fights that has any rhyme or reason to yeah. him. Because we can see how the lead up to losing his head is. Yeah. We can see the physical movements leading up to the cut. Yeah. And then the, the Vietnam militia dude fills him full of lead mm-hmm. and... The crew, the Krugan gets up, stabs him through with the blade, and lifts him <laughs> right off the ground. And the guy's not pressed against the hilt. No. He's halfway up the sword. Yeah, not sliding down. Not sliding down the sword. And you can actually, even though you can't see the wires holding this guy up, you could see where the wires should be. Yeah. But they're clearly on the shoulders and the waist. Yeah. And then he throws them, and then you have the, the quickening and a lot of exploding shit. Mm-hmm. And then... The scene I never, the, the, my, my, my least favorite scene in the entire film, while the quickening is happening, some little old lady and her husband are driving in yeah. a car and they stop to look at this. And instead of speeding away because there's crazy shit happening, they stay there in stunned silence. And the quickening is over and the Kurgan slices the, the, the roof frame meets the roof. The, 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 uh, the frame yeah, meets the, the roof. Yeah. On the, the driver's side, peels it back, throws the old guy out, yeah. looks at the little old lady, goes, Mom, yeah. and drives away. And this woman stands up screaming, Help me, Daddy, help me, Daddy. And in the very next scene, she's on the hood of the car mm-hmm. with her dress flipped up. Yeah. We don't see anything. She's wearing, like, I don't even know what you call those, the, the spanks. The spank. Yeah. I don't, well, no, they're like, they're almost to her knees, like, uh, whatever. Bloomers? Blue bloomers. Know. That's the term, bloomers. And 
Why show that? Because he's a cruel monster? Yeah. Why? Like, I, I, I think that that's the only thing that that's in that movie to show is like, let's just expedit, um, let's try and show just how much I, more of an asshole this guy is. And that's the thing. Like, he, you get the, you get the, the impression that he's not just cruel, he's, he gets off on his cruelty. Yeah. And okay, whatever. Like, this is the problem. There's so yeah. many okay, whatever moments. Yeah. Move on with the plot. Come on, come exactly. on. Exactly. We've you seen know? this already. Yeah. And so then we get, you know, then we get to hear, uh, Essentially, a retelling of this yes. from the Vietnam vet to the cops. Yeah. Which could have been cut down to a, the guy who went in to interview him, explaining it to the, the chief. Of the, in, the in, in, in five seconds. Exactly. But there was no need to see the scene. And then we see Brenda researching Nash. We learn that yeah. Russell Nash died in 1947, uh, a minute Minutes after birth. Yeah. And, and mom died. And then, yeah, and then in the very next scene, we discover, like, she's talking with a computer oh, expert, yes. and we realize that, you know, here are the signatures for everyone who's ever owned this building, and let's match it all up. And it's like, what, you got a guy who's been creeping around since the 1700s? You know, and we learn, you know, that he's essentially he's a he's pretending to be dead people, mm-hmm. and then the old the old version of him leaves everything to the new yeah. version of him. And, like, that's actually not a bad scene. That it's, could have been an interesting scene with the music, the, the dun, 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 yeah. like, the, the sort of the mystery horror music, which was obviously not done by Queen. Yeah. That could have led to an interesting mystery story about tracking these murders from the outside. Yeah. There's a better movie hiding in here. There, there are is. actually several. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there really are. But I'm I'm just got to step back on this. Like, you've got NYPD officers in the 19, in 1985 yeah. who analyze what is it, like six or seven different signatures. Uh, signatures. That at least is reasonable for a cop to do. Yes, that's fine. But then the in- immediate jump is, well, he's been around since the 1700s. No other explanation for this. Yeah. I'm just going to accept that. Might as yeah. well be ghosts. Well, it's a horror movie. You know, it's, it, it, and, and you accept, like, it's, like, it, it has the feelings of a horror movie. Like I said, yeah. there's, there's that scene. If you pull that out, you could almost build another movie around it. You totally could. You know, it's like I often said, have you ever read um, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? Yes. I've often said that if, if Harper Lee, the mm-hmm. author, had decided uh, four or five chapters in to make it a horror novel, you have a great scary novel about yeah. some creepy guy next door named Boo Radley. Yeah, you totally um, do. You know, and this is one of those, like, this could have been a very, very different movie, but it's not. It's no. not. And just the, the thing that bugs me the most about it is just the lack of skepticism from anybody. You know what? If if Brenda wants to go ahead and believe it, I, I get behind that. She's the main character investigating this. Okay, the main character can have the leeway to go, oh, this yeah, is the right thing. But everyone else, no, why isn't everyone else saying, you're out of your goddamn Yeah, exactly. Mind. Well, okay, so these guys had pretty similar handwriting. Yeah, that's really weird, but, you know, million monkeys, million typewriters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's just, and the film, I think, sort of, sort of, stumbles into a finish because the yes. next scene is in the in the uh, on heather's birthday in the uh in the in, catholic in, in, church and, and it's just a gross scene it is where you know he's sitting he, he's praying he's genuinely praying he's lit a candle and then in comes the kurgan who shaved his head sort of and he's now he's got yeah because he's of course you know the, the scar for his throat is long since healed but now he's got like uh, uh safety pins safety pins hanging from him that's gross yeah. and he pats out the all the um uh, the the more candles, the, the, the were, candles, yeah. and 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 they have they have a conversation which amounts to, let's talk about all the things about the gathering that we've already talked about for yeah. an hour and a half. Oh god! And yeah. and we get to see what a douchebag he is and how scary he is, and yeah. he scares nuns and he and he scares a priest. And again, that scene mm-hmm. shouldn't be there. That scene could have done without any of the dialogue and them just sitting there and uh, Connor steaming because they're in. Uh, on Holy Land, and he can't hit him. Yeah, but there was a better. Again, there was a better scene to be had yeah. there, and there's not. And then the next scene is 
<laughs> she show, she shows up demanding to to see Russell Nash. I know you're a thousand year uh, five hundred years old, whatever. Yeah. And she br- and he brings her into the museum and stabs her uh, or, or stabs sorry, himself. Sorry, yeah, he hands her the knife, takes it and drives it into his stomach, pulls yeah. it out. There's no blood. Yep. There's no blood at all. They couldn't <laughs> be bothered to take thirty seconds to put some blood on the blade, and she realizes that. Because he says, I am Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. I was born in 1518 in the village of Glenfinnan, and I am immortal. And stabs himself, pulls it out, no blood. Mm-hmm. And what does she do instead of running screaming from the place? She boinks him. She boinks, she has sex with him. <laughs> um, and again, the most uncharismatic sex scene you're likely to see. Oh, yeah, there was just um, nothing there. Well, it's all silhouette yeah. and, and great. She's got a nice body and, and he's reasonably fit, but there's no chemistry yeah. in the way it was filmed. There's no chemistry and why she wants to sleep with the creepy guy with the flasher uh, trench coat yeah. who just stabbed himself. I, okay, I, I, like I said, I'm going to try that at my next uh, on my next date. Um, it's as sexless as a kid bashing the G.I. Joe and Barbie dolls together. It's Yeah, it's just, it's it's, it's awful and... And then this is a scene, and then there's a scene the next day at the zoo. They're holding hands, uh-huh. and, oh, and we see in the background you can see the Kurgan right there. Oh yeah, you, so you can. I didn't yeah. even realize that. that's how that's how Kurgan gets onto her right. scent. Yeah, um, because in the theatrical version, uh, they go just from having sex to her coming home and hello, pretty. Yeah, and he's. He kidnaps her and... Well, there's kind of a cool scene in there where he chases her through the house. I, I think... Yeah, I, with a weird... Right, like apparently, she has a red light in her... Yeah, red light uh, and green light. Red lights in... Well, the green lights are from outside, aren't they? Is that... I thought the red light's in her light. washroom. Uh, who the fuck has a red light in their washroom? I don't know. Weird people from the 80s? Creepy with a, yeah, the, the, the mirror on Someone the ceiling is totally decorative. Someone who sleeps with that guy. Yeah, I said the, the mirror <laughs> on the ceiling is totally decorative. Uh, yeah. Um, right. You know, uh, it's just... It's a bad scene and he kidnaps... The Kurgan kidnaps her and they play this bad... Again, it's just it's a game of chicken with a lot of people getting killed yeah. and him screaming and laughing and screaming along with her. Yeah. It's just like the scene where he kidnaps the little old lady. You could cut that and you would lose nothing. Not a thing. Uh, except, again, the Queen's bad rendition of New York, New York. Well, uh, you know what? I'd like to hear it not laid over top of Everyone a, in the world would. Yeah. This is the this is one of these legends of Queen. Where is this? No one's ever heard it. Right. And my guess is they sang it and just sat on it. Probably. Like they just buried it. And then, you know, from there on in, we learn that, you know, he leaves a message. I have your girlfriend. Come get me. Yeah. And that's, you know, he tells Rachel, I'm not coming back. There are instructions. It's all left for you. Yeah. And then there's the fight. And I'm not sure how much we want to talk about this fight because it's just bad. It's, it's, there's it's, not a lot there. It's on top of a building. Yeah. And there's a scaffolding. With the massive neon sign that says "Silver Cup," yeah. I don't know what that refers to. Maybe Neither I should. I. I used to think it was like a beer thing, but I, I don't figured know. Figured it would be like you know, just the name of a, a company. It's I don't know, like but yeah, it's some shitty building in the middle of nowhere because there's nothing in the building when we eventually get in there. No, it's a but, warehouse. Yeah, the warehouse with this silver cup sign up top, yeah. and a water cooler tower, which yes, is very common in yeah. large buildings. At least it used to be because that's where you'd get the water mm-hmm. for a fighting a fire. Right. Right. Is that you could, you could, you know, pump it you, you, because you couldn't rely on, on fire hydrants in the 1920s. Right. So that's part of why I think why those things are there. Yeah. But again, that's not my area of history. I'm sure some architecture guy is screaming into, you know, why you're so wrong. And I'm going to get an angry email. Please but, send us a message and so, politely inform us why we're wrong. Yeah. But there's a fight and she is handcuffed to the silver cup sign, but don't worry because we can see <laughs> the safety harness she's in because they couldn't be bothered to make oh, sure the lights yes. didn't reflect off it or oh. to paint it black. Just paint it a matte black. That's all you need to do. Like guys. it's just, you could see she's there safely. Mm-hmm. 
and they have a fight and, and, and the Kurgan purposely is knocking down the supports. Yeah. The idea being that she's going to fall to her death. He's trying to distract. Yeah. Connor, because they're the last two immortals. This is for all the marbles. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to use her as a hostage and her being in uh, danger to distract him. But if you notice, Connor doesn't give a shit. He doesn't pay attention to her. She saves herself. When, yeah. when, when the scaffolding finally falls and she's hanging off the side of the building, yeah. she totally climbs back on her own. He's too busy, you know, not dying. Mm-hmm. And eventually they fall through a glass in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. No water follows them. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I was looking at that and expecting at least oh, some water someone, to come. Well, something but... comes down with them, but it's just, again, it's poorly filmed. And they're in this huge, what would you say, three-story high, open... Yeah. Open warehouse. Why are store? Why would you have a three-story high warehouse with nothing in it? Now there is like no shelving or anything. There's like it's nothing. Just, so those two stories are useless. Is it just abandoned? Maybe I don't know. It looks like a maybe it's a dance studio, but the windows maybe, go three well, high, yeah. and they have this big stupid fight with all because they have all the room in the world. You have these big sweeping camera movements, yeah. which you don't see anywhere else in the movie. So why no. now? I guess just to lend the grandiose importance to yeah. this fight. And there's a little bit of water on the ground. There is. There's some. Because I know they talked about in the director's commentary that the way, at one point, they have their swords up against each other, cross swords, uh-huh. and they drag them back, and there's this huge amount of sparks. Yeah. And the way they had done that, as we talked at the beginning of the yes. film, was two car batteries, uh, one with a wire on the negative going through Christopher Lambert's arm into mm-hmm. the sword, mm-hmm. and the positive on the you know, wire on the other battery going up through Clancy Brown's sleeve into his sword, and they actually made that happen with water on, like, standing in, in ankle-deep water. How these people are allowed to make movies, how the, the writers or the Directors Guild of America didn't step in and say, what are you doing? Like, yeah. there's going to be, like, I, I don't know how, they, but no one died. I guess they just didn't say anything so long yeah. as after the fact. And it ends badly because, you know, he takes, like, the Kurgan takes a lot of, sw- you know, slices yeah. to the stomach, and he comes at him knowing he's going to die mm-hmm. with his tongue out, like, blah, 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 like some gross heavy metal video, like with his yeah. tongue flapping and he, his head gets cut off. And then we have the best special effects ever oh for, my God, a, they're so good. There's for a heavy metal <laughs> rock video on MTV in 1985. Yeah. So then you start seeing these spirits and demons and, and they're drawn. Yeah. Like it's clearly they're drawn. It's very into the, obviously hand drawn by, but, but the look of them, they're very anime heavy, mm-hmm. not anime. They're animated heavy metal. Like, you know, they Go look watch like, the movie heavy metal. It looks yeah. like something out of that. You know what the, you know what the imagery reminds me of? What's that? Uh, like an Iron Maiden, yeah, oh, hundred percent, or, or an Iron looks Maiden, like ECDC, like one of those heavy metal mm-hmm. album covers, like that that particular art style. This is uh, this is the cover of yeah, Iron yeah, Maiden's yeah. Power Slave. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. that sort of look to it. Yeah, um, I can't remember what year it came out. I want to say like ninety seven. 97? I think so. Yeah, but a lot of that imagery you see among, like, I saw that in, you know, the old, you know, the old uh, panel vans. And oh, and absolutely. And was the trend to paint, like, yeah. crazy shit on the side. Yeah. I've seen vans with that sort of imagery on it. Like, it's, it's heavy metal album cover imagery. 100%. Sorry, that was just the first album that sort of sprung to my yeah, mind. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I know nothing about these groups, yeah. but yeah, I just know it's sort of, you know, heavy metal. It's got, it's got that heavy metal vibe. It does. And it's and very he, cool. Yeah, and what he's screaming, is. I know, I resist, I don't want this, and then he gets it anyway. And, yeah. You know, we, we did miss the money shot, though. Did we? There can be only one. And oh, all God, the, yes. All the glass behind him explodes. There can be only one. And then the demons come, yes. but it's just, again, it's so, 
It's so mediocre. It is. There's, yeah. it's almost that, that sin of just what's worse than being terrible is being mediocre. Like, yeah, I there's guess. There's nothing even there for us to go like, this is so bad. We can't yeah. well, be uh, you during rad. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I was just about to bring that up. Like, if you know, my criticism of rad mm-hmm. wasn't that it was a stupid story. It's yeah. that it's badly done. Yeah. There's a good, there are, like we said, there are several ways this movie could have gone right. that would have made it great. But no, no one involved in this movie has the skill. No. And I hate to say it, but 15 years later when they made the fifth film, they still don't. Yeah. It's just it's bad. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing there. She uh, She's still in love with them, apparently. Uh, somehow. And, yeah. and they go back to... Scotland. Scotland. And we know it's the we know it's the modern day because the first thing we see is a Harrier flying in the valley. Yes. And then we see the, the, the power lines and the, mm-hmm. the driving. And he explains, you know, I, I can see into the heads of world leaders and diplomats and scientists. I can help them understand each other. I can have children and grow old now. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and they're in for the first time they're both in bright colors. Yeah. You know, it's the first time he's in like a cream colored something and she's in something yeah. and, and 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 they're having a nice picnic with fruit and wine. Exactly. And and it just sort of ends there. Um, yeah, you don't really get a, a sufficient payoff for it. Like, there's no... We never understood what it is that he's going to do with his exactly. power. What he can do, other than saying, I can help them understand each other. Yeah. How? So you're now mm-hmm. the former immortal who can read people's minds and Until you're going to go to the die, UN? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, and you can communicate with people? That's going to be fun when you're 70 years old and have Alzheimer's. Exactly. You know, the President of the United States... Why do I hear a purple monkey dishwasher? <laughs> what does that mean? You know, there can be only three. What? I don't I don't get it. In a bad yeah. Scottish French accent. I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, it's just So wrapping this up. Yes, because this has gone on for way too long. Yeah, almost <laughs> as long as the movie had, oh, and there God. can be only one of these podcasts. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. And then I have to cut your head off. Oh, well, so shit. You, 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 I think you may want me to uh, after uh, watching this movie. And it's um, close. You know, competition, who gets their head you cut off You do have a lot of knives so, around here. Well, not knives, but swords. Oh, um, knife, knife. Yeah, but it's mostly a It's mostly I used to collect right. swords. I'm not some creepy survivalist guy. No, I did not take courses in human anatomy and taxidermy. Well, human anatomy, yes, yes. but not taxidermy. Not taxidermy, um, thank God. So what do you think of this film? Now that you've seen it for the first time. Let me sit back and ruminate on this for a second. <laughs> what do I think of this film? I think that it is a great film for an 11-year-old in the 80s to watch. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that beyond that, you you stand it up against something modern day. Like, Anything? I, I, <laughs> I just watched Black Panther for the first time the other day. They oh, do, Jesus. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. but like there's one specific scene. The, the scene where they're falling through the glass, there's a fantastic scene in Black Panther. Right, right, right near the end. Yeah. In, in, into, the, into the mountain. Yeah. Right. And right. all it is is them just falling and just punching each other and you get the thwack noise. Yeah. And there's no music. They're just falling and yeah. then they hit the ground and everything goes back to the way it was. Yeah. That would have been perfect here. Just give me like 10 seconds of silence where they're just punching well, each other. 10 seconds is a lot. Okay, yeah. give, me, yeah, give yeah. me a couple of seconds yeah. of silence and they're just punching well, each other also, a couple of times. there's also, you know, there's been, you know, 85, 95, 2005, 2000, there's 35 years or 30-ish years, we'll say, between the making of this film and Black Panther. There's yes. been a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of improvements in filmmaking style. Of course. But yeah, like, there's the no... Yeah, but there are films that were made 30 years before this that are much better. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, Black Panther is sort of the height of mass market technical know-how. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful film and it's obviously in just about no way related to this film but you just compare it to what I can sit down and watch today and I can turn my brain off I can turn my brain off during any of the Marvel Cinematic Universes and have a yeah, better yeah. time than I had yeah. watching this well it's worth watching once like I said as a it kid is. I adored it 
Um, and I can totally see why. I yeah. can get it. It's when I was when I was eleven years yeah. old. Well, it came out in eighty five. I would have been ten, so I would have seen it when I was eleven. Yeah. yeah. So, shooty kapow bang time with some minor story elements and a guy gets the girl. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Again, I still want to try the whole stab myself and get laid. I'm, I'm sure that'll work. Absolutely. Uh, keep I'll, me posted. Keep, yeah. Like I said, this will be the last episode. <laughs> but uh, the next one will be done between you know between the the glass of the prison. But yeah, it's just. I like this movie. I've always liked this movie less every time I saw it. Yeah. Frankly. I think it's mostly that I love the idea of the film more than I like the film. Mm-hmm. I get that. You know, same when we did Dune yesterday with Raimi and Heather. This movie is is worse every time I see it. Right. Especially because I know the book. Right. And that's frustrating. Like, even the music, it's a lot of that shitty 80s queen mm-hmm. with a few good ones. But that's a personal taste issue. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you, you know, that one. Like, you know, if you don't like, you know... Um, Stadium uh, Rock from the 80s. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Then, you know, it's just, it's not going to do anything for you. But yeah. it was a big idea put together with a big name musical group. And yeah. threw, threw a bunch of money at it and saw what happened. It's, it's funny that of all, the, of all the movies that Queen would choose to be involved with, they chose this. I could, like, I could like, see how like, it could. Like Flash Gordon, at yeah. least. That's just like, that's cool. Yeah. But this movie, what the hell? I mean, I'm my guess is that they had, okay, these are the tunes that you've already got done that we like, that we've heard that you're putting out, and we want to use those. We'd like you to record a rendition of New York, New York. And, and Don't Lose Your Head clearly was inspired by the movie. Of course. Yeah. And we've got one other song that we'd like you to put together for us. Who but, Wants to Live Forever, yeah. yeah. Um, and then that that's going to be it. We'll, we'll edit everything into the movie. You just provide this music and we'll give you money. Yeah, and, and maybe that's what it was. I don't know. The thing is, the Queen aren't dumb people. They met no. at university. Brian May, the bass player, yeah. he's got a PhD in astrophysics. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I'd rather I'd rather follow his Twitter account and read his stuff than watch this movie. So exactly. let's end it there. All right. And, uh, well, there can be only one, so let me grab my sword. And... Okay, hang on. Before you do that, let me just say one thing. To our wonderful listeners, if you'd be so kind as to, uh, you know, <laughs> like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. And if you would go to iTunes and Stitcher. And, well, iTunes, iTunes, you can we always rate us on iTunes. because yes, That's please. where all the, that's where, even if you don't use um, an iPhone, that's where chances are your podcast app is getting its information from. So if you rate us, it helps us to, you know, more people, the more, more ratings we get, the, the more people find us, the the closer to world domination we get. Exactly. So if you'd be so kind as to go on there and uh, give us a lovely five-star review, maybe I'll convince Farron to read out some of the better ones on air one day. Yeah. I don't think we've had a single review on iTunes yet, but anyway. So fix that, listener. Fix that. And there it is. There it is. Thank you so much.